the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Tuesday, December 28th, 2021, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. It feels good to be a gangster. A real gangster ass nigga plays his cards right. A real gangster ass nigga never runs his fucking mouth because real gangster ass niggas don't start fights. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, everything you could possibly need to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers. Hot melted plastic made for you in any configuration you could think of. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. You know, whether you were naughty or nice this past year, Mike Lindell's probably still praying for you. And whether or not your family members decided a good night's sleep was a great Christmas present, you could still make up for it now and save up to 66% off by using the promo code STEAK at MyPillow.com. Giza, everything. Always wearing the slippers, love the robe, my dogs love the beds, pillows of course, etc. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for up to 66% off and via the telephone 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear can be found at Odyssey. Noah looks like he's in some uh, futuristic music video right now. Whether you're gaming, consoles specific, potting, or working in office space, make sure your ears are treated right. Odyssey.com, they're on Facebook and Instagram. Did you say consoles? Consequences of not getting a firearm for Christmas could be saved by visiting West Coast Survival Arms. Mike's been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. He's got a five-star rating, and uh, he's got ammo, which is most importantly... You can visit Mike on his newly redesigned, easy-to-use website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Find him on Facebook Messenger or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. First responders are working hard all holiday season, whether they're uh, dishing out Narcan or uh, saving gunshot wound victims. Uh, They're definitely getting their tourniquets little bejeweled with some stickers and patches from Mediocre Medic. That's what our first responders wear when they're off duty, and it's what they carry when they're on. MediocreMedic.com, they got a pretty fire IG, definitely a favorite of our first responders. And last but not least, Zero Fucks Duck. We got the special Skelly Last Duck of 2021 edition up now, in addition to the Grinch Duck and the Home Alone Ducks, Marvin Harry. If you don't know, you better go ask Mark. They're on Instagram, they're on Facebook, and they're at dumpbox.us. 
Friends, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to uh, all our social medias, our website, the Telegram, and more. And on that note, welcome. After Christmas edition, Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 94. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Is it good to be a gangster, Noah? Say what? Is it good to be a gangster? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of gangster. Sure is. Antoinette's here. Hi, guys. How are you? Hello, dear. And then the OG of our pod team today, guest hosting duties. He needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one. He's Right Side Broadcasting Network's host of Red, White, and Truth. Mike Crispy, thanks for joining us today. Gentlemen, gentlemen, Merry Christmas. Good to be uh, having the honor, a distinct honor of being a guest host. I don't know if you guys have given that out to anybody else, but... It's an honor to have that distinction. So let's just do this every time. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. I think Mike's a little bit busier than uh, most of us in addition to his show. Mike, what's been going on with you before we jump into the news? Uh, well, I mean, things have been uh, things have been going well. We obviously finished the year. We wrapped up Red, White, and Truth. It was the, the first full year uh, on the air with RSBN, so I would call it a success. Great show. You know, we, show. we finished the year number one uh, as the top show in the network, and, and with that, are just gearing up for a super exciting year next year um, with the show. We got a lot of cool guests and content planned, but I will say there has been, and it's, it's, it's no secret because it's been out there, but there has been some speculation about myself uh, running for office in New Jersey. And uh, I've been talking to some people and that might actually happen. You know, it all started when uh, Roger Stone, a name that many people on the show probably know, uh, started to encourage me to do it. Um, actually, he came on my show as a guest and kind of flipped the table on me and, and, and asked me if I would consider doing it uh, after Trump had issued a call for a strong America first primary challenger. So, you know, right now in, in that district, it's it got redistricted. It's Trump plus 22 in New Jersey, if you can believe it. Mm. And you got a, 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 a demo. A, well, he's a Democrat, really, but he's a Republican votes with the Democrats in there in that district. And uh, nobody's really stepped up to challenge him. So, We'll see in a couple of days after the new year. Uh, will I do it? Will I not? TBD. But talking with some great people uh, close to the president uh, regarding that decision, and we'll see what happens. And if that happens, we'll have a really exciting year. And if it doesn't happen, well, then we'll have a really exciting year anyway with RWT and RSBN. So stay tuned. Nice. I like it. Yeah, we can only hope that after you, I guess, interview yourself on your own show, <laughs> that, that you would probably come here 1A and allow us to do an interview with you, one of our great friends and, and always guests, uh, to do an interview on you and what exactly your platform would be if you did decide to uh, make that candidacy legitimate and get out there and throw your name in the hat. Oh, well, I, it will be the, I, I liked the term yesterday, it'll be the stake exclusive. So uh, oh, you guys, <laughs> you guys, I, I look forward to it if it happens and will definitely be really exciting. I mean, you hear a lot of candidates and you guys have been doing this too, uh, and girls, uh, where, you know, you're, you're interviewing all these people who come through and, you know, you kind of size up everybody who comes on your program or you sit down and interview with, and, uh, it'll just be really interesting to see, you know, how, uh, you know, if I do decide to do it, how I fit in the mix. Uh, cause we've just, I mean, you know, this guys, we've rubbed elbows with people, the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, the, the strong America first people, the people who are running, who kind of don't have a clue and everything in between. So, uh, just, just look forward to seeing what happens and it's going to be an exciting 2022, no matter what happens. Yeah, I definitely think it is. You, your show has been doing great things. I think 
you know, you guys really turned it into something special. One of my favorite things on Right Side Broadcasting Network, in addition to the Trump rallies, is the pregame festivities, and you guys have turned that into a whole event. You know, I've seen you at several of those. You've made some some great content and, and, and given some great content out of there. And, uh, you know, then you turned it into like a weekly show, which is kind of like ours, but on steroids. And, uh, you know, w- we love having you on because you bring that show mentality with you to us and kind of give us a little bit of an extra dynamic that we don't always have every week, depending on who the guest host is. But, you know, we're thankful to have you. We're interested to see where, uh, you know, you're going to go, whether or not it be successes with the shows or, or a political campaign moving forward. And we're going to continue to not only be your friend, but support you in those endeavors. Well, I, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, you mentioned right side broadcasting. I mean, shout out to them. Think about it. Anybody who's listening uh, right now and everyone probably tunes into right side uh, from time to time. I look back on the year and I think one of the most memorable points of the year, and I posted about it today on Instagram, was the uh, rally that was going to be the July 4th rally. It was held on July 3rd. Mm-hmm. And YouTube on July 2nd pulled down RSBN's YouTube account, right? It was the first time where the day before one of Trump's rallies, and it was built to be one of the biggest ones, and then literally from covering that rally and talking to the people being there, it was massive, massive, and nobody – Wanted, nobody in the mainstream media wanted the people to see what was going on there. An off year, no election. You had 30,000 people showed up. It was 105 degrees. And then you had a tropical storm go through. Nobody in the crowd left. Would they have done that for Brandon? Right? I don't think so. These people were there and uh, and nobody wanted that to be seen. And they knew it was coming. So they literally put the band hammer down on RSBN and then we set the rumble record uh, that goes to show you how committed people are to watching Trump's rallies, set the all-time rumble streaming record on July 3rd ever for the biggest streamed single video live on rumble ever, RSVN Trump rally July 3rd. So that was kind of like a highlight of the year. And, and it was the midpoint of the year when it's just like internet censorship has just been out of control in 2021. And, you know, God help us in 2022, Republicans, you know, getting elected to the House it's like that needs to be a top priority because we've had too many Republicans who take money from big tech and who have kind of just, uh, you know, pitter pattered around with this and done nothing about it. And that's literally one of the most detrimental grassroots issues to the base is Internet censorship, because now you can't even organize local stuff because you can't do it on Facebook because then they'll rip you down. So it's like, you know, Internet censorship, I think, was a, a theme of 2021. And I think that in 2022 and 2023, Uh, If Republicans want to get serious, they need to fight back against it because, you know, right now, a lot of Republicans in Congress say they're fighting for us. But just look at their record on defending us against Internet censorship, which affects everybody in the conservative movement. You, me, everybody here, everyone listening. Everyone's been had an experience with uh, censorship. It's like if we don't get that under control, we're toast. So we'll see if candidates step up. Yeah, and and really start to to carry that line. We're already seeing some of them coming to the forefront. I always uh, circle back to Kent and Sabatini as two of the largest, heavily endorsed, and probably most popular on a national level who are kind of championing a lot of those things you said, especially 230 yeah. and, and cleaning up the mess of this administration. I saw Joe Kent tweeted this morning that one of his first orders of business as a representative out of Washington 3 will be to draft articles of impeachment against Joe Biden. Depending on how much of a majority we gain in the House and Senate, it's looking better every week. I think number we reported on two weeks ago, 20 is now up to 23 or 24, either not running or retiring on the Democratic side of the House. And uh, it seems like 
you know, achieving a super majority that we hear about in other shows like War Room and things like that, you know, yeah. is something that maybe seemed unattainable right after the election, especially with all the, the, the bad stuff that went on in regards to that. But it seems a little bit more attainable now as we enter, you know, getting ready to close out 2021 and head into the new year. Yeah, we got some positives. I think it's attainable. And I also think, uh, you know, you look at a guy and I've had Sabatini on the show. Actually, one of my my Sabatini interview uh, got ours being ripped down on another strike. Just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Carrie Lake, uh, who is the front runner to literally become the governor of Arizona. Her words on my show also led to some big censorship. These are the words of mainstream political figures. But I think, you know, and Sabatini talks about it a lot. Uh, and I know a lot of people who, who work on his campaign, who run his campaign and, and we're all friends. And it's like Republicans need to step up. You could have a super majority, but you could have losers in Congress yep. like, you know, Congressman Chris Smith in, in New Jersey, like, uh, you know, people who are the rhinos uh, who Trump has called out, Nancy Mace, right? Uh, Nicole Meliotakis. Yep. You could have these people who are who are weak need, uh, who are in there. They're an R, but they're a soft R. And if we're going to take this country back and undo the downright socialism, communism that's been perpetrated on our society, we're going to need people who are strong and bold, who are going to fight just as bold as the Democrats, because Republicans always get in and they try to say, oh, we're going to be nice and we're going to play nice with the Democrats. Have the Democrats done anything that equals playing nice with us over this process? Absolutely not. We saw the mandates. We see what they're doing right now. I saw footage in New York City, which is right next to New Jersey, of the police officers now going into restaurants and forcibly removing families who are traveling to New York over Christmas, dining without a vaccine card. It's like this is the state of the state right now, and Democrats have not played nice. They're willing to literally leverage the police as their Gestapo force and put the police in an impossible situation where they either have to go along with this or they're going to get their pensions cut yep. because, you know, it's it's all super you know, swampy. It's like they're putting them in an impossible situation. And we need Republicans to step up and stop this at all levels of government. And we can't play nice with them. So that's my motto in 2022 is that Republicans need to fight back just as hard. We fight back just as hard as Democrats will be in a fine spot. But if we get in and we got the Nancy Maces of the world, the Chris Smiths of the world, the Mally Toxes of the world, then we're going to lose every time because we won't have people on our side fighting as hard as they're fighting against us. Yeah, we've asked so many candidates that have gone about a stance just like that, and and so many of them have, have almost parroted each other when a lot of the times they probably don't really know each other uh, due to the campaigns and saying the time for bipartisanship is over. You know, the time for uh, establishment Republicans who were going to run on fighting Obamacare, lowering taxes, and meeting in the middle somewhere on immigration, <laughs> those days are over. They're long gone. Uh, we tried to get rid of them during, during the Trump era and failed, uh, mainly because of all the the career appointees and, and, and government officials who don't get elected in the swamp, in addition to some pushback on the you know Republican Party that we incurred during that time, but even more so now. So I definitely think it's one of those things. You made a lot of great points, and uh, moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see if we can you know get into a position where we're not just having people run on, okay, I'm a Republican and I'm going to run just because if you don't elect me, a Democrat's going to win. We've heard some of our candidates say that as well. We want those guys to get out way in front of that, put their America First platform out there, talk about elections, talk about COVID, talk about the borders, national defense, the swamp in D.C., and then moving forward, do something about it when we get there. So, I mean, the, the country is not where – I mean, look back. If you would have told – if you would have showed people images in the 1980s 
of when a lot of these people got elected, right? The people who've been in government forever. If you would have showed somebody footage 20 years ago of the NYPD going into a restaurant and arresting children and family members and pulling them out. I just saw this right before we went on the air. If you would have showed them this footage and said, this would be the state of New York uh, in New York City in 2021, they would have said, this is a sci-fi movie, right? It's unbelievable. Yep. But this is reality. So all the Republican talking points of wanting to get elected in bipartisanship, you see where they've taken this country? It's time to fight back. And they're doing things that we never would have thought have been possible. So, you know, it's it's now or never. And the Republicans who challenge, you know, need to be smart. You know, you, there's so many people who run and they want to run. And, you know, you look at them, they're like perennial candidates. We need people who are smart, well-funded, well-organized, understand how the local government works, are going to take it back from the ground up. And those are the people we need to rise up. So, uh, I, I see great people, Sabatini and Kent are two of my favorites, you know, some other people. And, uh, you know, you hope that those are the people who are going to become the new spokespersons of America first. And I'm going to see them on TV and not people like Nancy Mace yep. from South Carolina, who, you know, is always the it's like, why does she give the Democrats, you know, uh, you know, artillery when she goes on and says something bad about Trump or America first? They say, oh, this is a bipartisanship. Uh, bipartisan rebuke of President Trump because one stupid rhino speaks against it. So, you know, I mean, I'm ranting and raving on this, but it's so important. And with the redistricting, which just got done, which just got done all across the country, you saw the lines of the congressional districts change in a big way. Mm -hmm. And that's going to obviously impact the elections. And everybody, I challenge you, if you're out there in your states, take a look at what they did to the maps and you'll see the maps go all sorts of different directions and curve around cities. And that's all intentional. That's done by a redistricting commission. And you got to look at what they did to your state and what they did to your counties. And that tells a story. Peel back the onion on who's making those decisions, who's working with who, you know, because Democrats or Republicans are supposed to do it together. And then there's always these backroom deals that are cut where certain towns are left here. They make certain towns more. Uh, they make certain districts more blue or certain districts more red. So just look into redistricting, look into what they did, because that's going to also play a huge role in where Congress stands in 2023 when people get sworn in. So a lot of factors going on. And I know it's Christmas time, but, you know, there's so much that's ramping up for change as we head into the new year. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, that's why we try to keep you in the know. It's funny that you said it's Christmas time, because in addition to our, uh, you know, holiday message from Joe Biden last week, which was basically Merry Deathless. That was dark. That was dark. We thought making fun of that would have been the best of Christmas presents, even better than maybe some Giza slippers. Mm. However, it was on Christmas Day and uh, via some phone calls from NORAD where Joe Biden pretty much provided the best Christmas present. That was amazing. We could ever get from him. It was uh, a complete, you know, lead in to his just incoherentness and not knowing what's going on. And by the way, anyone. Did you see his wife's face? A dirty look to whoever oh, yeah. was off camera it, like if you if you zoom in on that clip and you look at her eyes it's like they get so she, does, she does she does like the fuck my life and then she looks off at somebody and it's just like i'm gonna fucking punch you in the throat well but let's hear right now what happened when joe biden got on the phone with just some average joe from oregon <laughs> who uh had a holiday message for the president yeah i hope you guys have a wonderful christmas as well Oh, Merry Christmas and let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. <laughs> hey, by the way, where are you in Oregon? Where's your? 
Did he hang up on him after that too? I think he was laughing. I mean, when they showed the split screen of like the uh, the Instagram live that the guy was doing, he was had his hand over the phone after he said it, and you could hear Joe Biden coming through. But I, I just don't believe that he actually thought it happened. It's like what an idiot. Yeah, definitely, definitely is. And I, I thought like, oh, go fuck myself. I agree. <laughs> that couldn't have been better, right? I mean, it it, it, it really it, I, I, it really sums up for the year. Like in one moment, it confirmed everything that we've always suspected, right? That Joe Biden has no idea what's going on around him, that he's literally a puppet getting fed the words, reading off a teleprompter. That moment perfectly at the end of the year just sums up that Joe Biden has no idea. He has no, he literally has no idea what let's go branded even means. And that's why he said it. It's incredible. Yeah, I definitely think it was. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, it couldn't have been more well placed. And then you see the complicity that goes into having Joe Biden essentially as his handler. Cause you know, like Noah mentioned, her face just went to like, oh, Jesus Christ. you know, it was one of those things where she's like, she couldn't believe that it was happening in real time. There was no way to stop it. And it's like, you can't put that toothpaste back in the bottle. So it's one of those things, uh, you know, it, it just is amazing that it happened and completely funny. It doesn't really do anything for the news, but definitely, you know, gave me a chuckle uh, on my Christmas to, uh, you know, feed into that. Now, this guy, Jared Schmeck is is his name. He's he's apparently a blue-collar worker out from the state of Oregon. He's a... Uh, oh, he's in Oregon. He's probably going to get fired from his job for some reason. Yeah, apparently he's he's pro-Trump and, and you know, didn't say he, he held real biases against Joe Biden except for the fact that he thinks he needs to be held accountable for a lot of those things that need to uh, be looked into of what the administration's doing right now. Uh, you know, you hear that kind of like, neutral stance but then you know yesterday and today he goes on steve bannon's war room and he's got like a trump flag in the background and he's wearing a maga hat and you kind of see where his political affiliations lie a little bit more i did pull the thug life version of part of his interview that oh, was yeah. from the bannon and i, I want to play it now as kind of a follow-up to what he said on uh christmas um we had we had a really good laugh about it and i i mean it, it uh <laughs> It, it, I know it, it was said in a in a joking manner, in a humorous manner, but it's a very serious uh, thing. And and I mean, it, it's it was one way for me to like, man, I, I got a chance right now to to voice my disapproval of of this man and his administration. Mm. And, and I've said it in other articles. I, I am a Christian man. Uh, it's for me, it's God first and foremost. I don't follow any one man blindly. Um, some like of the media has run with yeah. that and said I don't support Donald Trump. That's absolutely false. Donald Trump is my president, and he should still be president right now. Uh, the election was 100% stolen. <laughs> kind of had to throw that in there. But, you know, it's one of those things. Those you, are always funny. Yeah, it's like a Donald Trump talking point when he knows he's on the networks that where he can't say it. He'll, he'll begin to answer the question by saying, well, first of all, you have to look at the elections. We all know the elections were again stolen. But let's talk about health care like you're asking right now. And, and you know, it, it's one of those things. Like I said, it's kind of a little comedic spin on the holiday, but it didn't take uh, the mainstream and legacy media is long to, to jump in on this and, and basically our friends over at, at CNN to uh, compare not only this, but uh, the whole Let's Go Brandon narrative as to insurrectionists. Oh, I was about to say insurrection, yeah. Oh, how do you usually say it? Insurrection. Let's Go Brandon, for those yeah. who don't know, is slang for F Joe Biden. Uh, Ron, the president is trying to be nice to kids. Uh, he doesn't really have too to nice. do this. They were very pleasant. What does it tell you that somebody is rude like that and disrespects the office of the president to his face 
uh, about the political climate in this country. Are they forgetting what they did to Trump the entire yeah, look, time? I, you know, it's ungracious, it's juvenile, it's reprehensible by the father. Uh, but I don't think it's fundamentally about incivility. I think hmm. it is fundamentally about insurrection. Oh, um, oh. You know, I don't know the, oh uh, the individual, but the, the whole let's go Brandon kind of motif is a reflection of the view two thirds of the Republican uh, base driven by Trump's claims, uh, false claims and the big lie that Biden is an illegitimate president. Hold on, let me get my tag um, words in. And it reflects in. as well the, the findings in multiple polls by the American Enterprise Institute, Vanderbilt University and others that a majority of Republican voters now say the American way of life is disappearing so, so fast, the traditional American way of life that we may have to use force to save it. I think you're seeing this is a manifestation not just of incivility, but of the fundamental view of the illegitimacy and the ominous shores that we're kind of sailing toward very quickly uh, in 2022 and especially 2024. Oh, stop it. Antoinette, now you've probably seen our social medias over the course of the last few days. I've probably shared a dozen of the account Defiant L's that specifically screen grabs either prominent figures uh, who are liberals, like let's say editors and chiefs of the New York Times, et cetera, all the way up to our elected officials over the course of the you know Trump presidency that basically said fuck Donald Trump and so in so many different ways and then you know they will take a screen grab of like that guy's comments that he would put on Twitter that saying let's go Brandon is a you know a sure lead into insurrectionism and and you know the hypocrisy and the projection is so off the charts what do you see when you when you you know the the thing that happened on Christmas was funny but then the way the media spins it the only thing that that interview is missing was file footage of January. 6th in the background basically i mean they'll they're going to use anything to you know to talk shit about trump's base i mean they spent five years saying and doing so much worse like literally like you've got celebrities calling for the death of trump and to have him assassinated and they're getting so riled up oh having a a, what a severed head on what's her name yeah Yeah. kathy griffin and then what johnny depp well, how many uh, hip hop videos were there as well, where they, you know, literally had effigies of Donald Trump and, and, you know, I think Snoop Dogg shot him in the head. And then you had Madonna, yeah. Madonna saying she wants to blow up the White House. And if, if any, if anybody on our side did that, they would go to jail, most likely. Oh, if any of these uh, insurrectionists had yeah. said they wanted to blow up the Capitol, they'd be. Yeah, like Madonna did. Yeah, <laughs> definitely getting a knock, knock, knock from the FBI for sure. Um do you, have, do you have time to talk to me about our Lord and Savior, Joe Biden? <laughs> or Dr. Fauci? Yeah. I think moving forward, you know, and away from that, I think we can only take it for what it is. And it was something that was funny and something that you really can't make up. And <laughs> and then moving forward, we're going to have to get back to the, you know, to the issues that, that have really been kind of affecting us overall. The next one, and I'm going to get Mike's take on this after we, uh, you know, listen to the first audio clip. I want to segue. There is still some fallout coming from that whole Donald Trump Candace Owen interview last week. We covered it extensively. We played all the clips. But, you know, we did receive uh, a kind of an answer to the negative tweets Candace Owens was getting. She took the Instagram live and gave her perspective, which I really didn't identify with, but kind of goes into what we said last week, that she was, number one, unprepared to do that interview. And number two, moving forward, they, they didn't know how to treat Donald Trump when they actually get him unadulterated. And this is kind of where she went with it. They're good. And he believes that because he comes from a generation like people, you oftentimes forget, like how old Trump is. He comes from a generation. I've seen other people that are older have the exact same perspective. Like they came from a time before TV, before Internet, before being able to conduct their independent research, you know, and everything that they read 
in a newspaper if that was pitched to them like they believed that that was a reality and one of those things was you know this push for vaccines and believing that people were going to die without vaccines and so i believe that his support of the vaccine is genuine and it's not based in any corruption at all i i think he actually believes those things and people that are saying how is he ignoring all the people that are being injured and you know people are sending rumble videos and all of these you know websites obscure websites I believe also that he only reads the mainstream media news, believe it or not. I do not believe that Trump reads um, or partakes in any other news sources. Um, you know, I don't believe that Trump is on the internet or, you know, that he's necessarily uses like, you know, the, the web to, to try to find, you know, obscure websites. I think that he just relies on, you know, typical mainstream sources. So I don't think that there's anything evil going on there. I just wanted to say that because so many donors supporters of his have are kind of like questioning where all of this is coming from and i think he just genuinely believes that um and he needs to sit down and you know have a full conversation with someone um i'm in i was interviewing him in that circumstance but he needs to have a larger conversation um to really understand what's going on and why so many people are just horrified now mike does that kind of confuse you when you hear make well she should have followed up for sure yeah, I mean, we, we pointed out one of the biggest things was that there was no follow-up question to the one she asked, and when he segued, she kind of just let him go through it, which led to my opinion is that she wasn't ready for that interview. I mean, I, I will say this. I think she's wrong uh, when she says that Trump doesn't read other media besides the mainstream media. I mean, remember when he was on Twitter and he would be dishing out these articles, you know, from all over the place. I mean, I know for a fact you literally just look at his daily updates. He's putting out statements, uh, you know, that have links to articles from all sorts of sources, right? I mean, you just go on. He puts the, in case you missed it stuff, and he's linking to OAN and all sorts of places. So I know he's looking at that stuff. And I just think the guy, I mean, you know, he supports he supports the vaccine. I, I think he's a, you know, I think he's a supporter of it. I think he takes credit for it. And I think that's fine. You know, let him, you know, let him say it. And he has the freedom to say it. And if other people don't want to get it, uh, he's never said he's pro mandate. So, I mean, that's my stance on it. And I do think that Candace Owens, you know, I, I, I thought the interview was a little bit awkward. I mean, when I looked at it, I thought it was kind of awkward at times. And I think an awkward interview uh, speaks to the lack of preparation from the interviewer. Now I like Candace Owens, you know, yeah. personally, but I think that she's wrong. I think that Trump reads the, uh, headlines and reads the stories from all sorts of places. I know he reads the Gateway Pundit and other places like that that report stories accurately and fairly. And I think that when he's speaking out there, I think there is a, a percentage of people uh, in the base that, you know, support the vaccine or want to get it for some type of reason. And there are people in his base that do not. So I think that, you know, when he's speaking out there, I think he's trying to speak to both of them because as Republicans, I think we all can say, you know, you you can do what you want. If you want to get the shot, great. If you don't want to get it, you know, then you don't have to get it. And I think that's the message for Republicans uh, that'll win, because there are people out there in the Republican Party that say, I want to get it. Great. You want to get it? Go ahead. Um, but, you know, people who don't want to get it, uh, you know, you know, Trump says, and I'm quoting him now, you know, in, in his speeches, he goes, I'm personally for the vaccine. But it's about your freedoms. You need to keep your freedoms. If you don't want to get it, no mandates, right? So that's fine. I mean, I, I understand that. And I think Candace Owens is 
I think she's her heart's in the right place, but I think that interview was just kind of kind of wonky, you know. Yeah, someone who's not a veteran reporter. Or but how do you walk like into her. an interview and just not have like maybe some notes, like, "Hey, this also is you know, this you might know what come he's up. gonna say, like yeah. you know you know that Trump is gonna say, like you know like usually as a reporter and you know when you do interviews with people, you kind of you kind of plan the questions and then you plan what the follow ups are, right? It's like a lawyer, like okay, they're gonna probably say this based on what you know about them. So if they say that then you pivot to this follow-up question. So, I, but you're right. I mean, you guys pointed out very accurately, she just kind of let him go and then stop. And, you know, that's not a good interview. A good interview should be conversational. And we know that Trump's stance on the vaccine is he is proud that his administration rolled it out, um, but he stands against mandates. So ask him more about that if that's what you're trying to get more clarity uh, from him on. Yeah, well, I think she was too afraid to ask him to push him on the issue too, to be honest. Yeah, you know, he does kind of get over people when 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 he does get pushed. But at the same time, these are the things that we're going to need to know heading into, you know, first the midterms with his endorsements and then moving forward where we're going to go with that, whether we get a better disposition on 2020 or, or we're looking down the road to 2024. You know, it's one of those things where we are going to need some clarity. I, we, we've had people go out on his behalf, you know, like Peter Navarro and others who, who have kind of articulated this a little bit better on other shows, including ours. And then often on, on War Room, he talked about it uh, with Tucky. I think just last night I saw a clip of it today, and, it's, you know, it's one of those things where they just keep reiterating the fact they never wanted mandates, they never wanted forced. This was something that was, you know, rushed together to try and help the really medically inclined. And it everybody in the Democratic side of the aisle said it was poison, it was bad, they never put it in their body, and now they're literally firing you from your jobs based off of federal mandates from from the people who said they'd never touch it. So that's kind of where we're at full circle with it and uh people who not only said they would never touch it but said that they don't think that they, they have the authority to touch it yeah so and so like, what, do, what do people expect him to say now like if he speaks out against the vaccine he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't you know so true yeah, they, he, they've already kind of made the vaccine. They're going to blame him for all the deaths and injuries. Yep. And they're going to tie it into every campaign commercial Everything. for the for the midterms and then the the, the presidential election. And uh, that's the, kind of that is of. such a great point. Everything. Also, people who are uh, I did that is such a great point by Antoinette, because people who are in the media sometimes lose sight of the fact that, you know, Trump is a, a political candidate. Right. He's a political candidate again. You can't say things that are going to be absolute fodder for the other side to make advertisements on. Absolutely right. Damn if he does, damned if he doesn't. I think he's actually handling it in a very shrewd manner. You know, I mean, I think that's the right approach. It's it's if you want it, get it. I personally, I got it. You know, Trump's an elderly man. He's 75 years old. He he says, great, I got it. But it's about your freedoms. We won't do mandates. And Trump, when he was president, we didn't see mask mandates. Uh, now you see on the planes, every time you sit on a plane, they are so proud. These sickos are so proud to announce that there is a federal mandate on masks that can result in, you know, crime, uh, punishment for the crime and blah, blah, blah. We didn't see that under Trump. Nope. So I think if he keeps that message, the, the politically expedient message for him is I'm pro vaccine if you want it, but it's all freedom and mandates are bogus and you can't do lockdowns. You got to liberate the states. I think that's the winning message that appeals to the masses. And people like Candace Owens, you know, who might be so down the rabbit hole of uh, reporter slash activists, you got to see what's going to win you the election. So I think Trump's playing it exactly how he should play it. And Antoinette makes a great point. If he was if he was saying, oh, vaccines are killing and hurting people, the media would go wild even worse. And then that would turn off a section of the base 
that feels maybe that they personally wanted the vaccine and were benefited by it. So I think that's a great point. Blame him for all those injuries and deaths because the the vaccine was created under him when we know that this vaccine was they were working on this vaccine way, way before, you know, um, and they had these plans and whatnot. But I mean, it's like. If you're if you haven't gotten the shot by now, you're not going to get it. The majority of his base are people that are anti this this vaccine. I'm not saying like, you know, all vaccines, but this vaccine in particular. Yep. And he's made it clear and he's anti mandate, anti force this. And it's so I don't see I've, I know I understand people's frustrations when he speaks positively about it. But I think there's so much more to it and why he says what he says, like, we, you know, the way we just elaborated about it. But I, th- I just think that there's still so much more behind the scenes and why he is saying certain things. And I think people just need to chill out because, hey, if you don't want it, don't get it. You know, that's it. End of story. And I'm kind of tired yeah. of hearing everybody kind of like, you know, harping on it. It's like, come on, guys. Like, it's so true. It's yeah. just such a simple, it, it shouldn't even be a debate, right? Oh, we need 60% of the population immunized. They will have herd immunity. Oh, it's 80%. Literally, you got, I don't know, what is it? Like 70, 80% of the population got the vaccine. They made the decision. The rest who don't want to do it, what's the problem? They're making their own personal health risk. If the vaccine's so effective, 70% of the people are vaxxed, the hospitals would never be overwhelmed again. If that's the logic, right? So then what's the problem? It's over, right? Then that's it. So I I don't understand why this is even a thing anymore. Um, And I think that, you know, Trump's positioning is how he moves it away. Like, because you don't want to, we don't want to talk about this shit anymore. Like, we don't, we don't want to talk about this, right? This is not, this is what the Democrats want us to talk about because it is a distraction from the Build Back Better and the globalist New World Order, all that stuff that they're doing to try to fundamentally change this country. They want us fighting about COVID and mandates and fear tactics and yeah. rushing to urgent cares to get tests when nobody even has a symptom or a sniffle. They want us to be going wild about that while they secretly, quietly implement you know, their absurd agenda. So I think Trump is doing good by not playing into their hands. Exactly. And he yeah. says, don't he, he says, don't play into their hands for the people as well. Yeah. Like, calm down. Like, you don't get it if you don't want it. And and that's that. Well, and if they want to talk about herd immunity, I mean, now you have the Omicron flu going around, which is the flu, the flu, basically. Yeah. Well, and cold. if you uh, well, no, but a cold, a cold. Yeah. But I mean, if you want to talk about herd immunity and if this is related to the actual covid initial strains, then it's actually beneficial for this to be going around and having it be literally not lethal. Yeah. I mean, then and that makes everybody pretty much. Uh, so sh- everybody should be good to go by now. Yeah, exactly. You know, it probably wasn't surprising to some, but definitely to us. And I'm sure to Mike was who came to Trump's defense in regards of this vaccine thing, stemming from that interview with Kansas Owens. The answer might surprise you. Ugh. You know, it was interesting on this question of vaccination. I, I'm sure you saw President Trump, former President Trump, uh, said came out and said that he uh, had received the booster shot. He actually got booed a little bit by the crowd of support of his supporters <laughs> as he said that. And now, uh, you know, there, there's another uh, interview he just did uh, with a, a conservative outlet with Candace Owens, where he really pushed back on the idea uh, that the vaccine is not protecting people. He said that the people going to hospitals are. Uh, are, are the ones largely that, that haven't been vaccinated. You don't yeah. die if you get the vaccine. That's, those, were, those were Donald Trump's words. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if his supporters listen to that. 
Well, I certainly hope so, uh, John. We'll take anything we can get about oh. getting people vaccinated. I was a bit dismayed when former President Trump came out and made that statement and his followers booed him, which I, I was stunned by that. I mean, given the fact of how popular he is with that group, that they would boo him, which tells me how recalcitrant they are about being told what they should do. And I think that his continuing to say that people should get vaccinated and articulating that yeah. to them, in my mind, is a good thing. I hope he keeps it up. Yeah, let's hope he... Oof. Mike, I want a hot take on that clip right there. Oof, Fauci. You know, he it pains him. It pains him for him to say anything good about Trump. So, like, he kind of gave, like, the backhand compliment there. I mean, I, I got I to tell you, like, I, I see Fauci... Fauci, obviously, always nonpartisan. He's this, that. And Trump said he couldn't fire Fauci because it would have been too much blowback from the from the Republican establishment. I will say he should have fired Fauci when he had the chance. I think it's the one thing I will say that uh, if Trump could have done anything different to set us up in the future, it would be to fire Fauci. Fauci should be in jail. He's a criminal. He lied to Congress. You see them going after people like Roger Stone. Uh, they said he lied to Congress. They went after him. What about Fauci's absolute irrefutable lies about the gain of function research in Wuhan? Yep. He needs to be in jail. He needs to be indicted. He's a criminal. And anything that Fauci says should not be played on television. I love when he plays the God complex thing and goes on and says, oh, well, you know, the masks are never going to come off on airplanes. What are you basing that off of? What are you basing off of the fact that you waved your fucking magic wand and the quarantine time went down from 10 days to five days? What type of scientific evidence is that based on? The answer is none, nothing. This is a short little Napoleon complex having tyrant who wants to just stay in the media, impose his will, and somehow, some way, people in the mainstream still after two years, I'm just so disappointed with the sheep population out there who after two years buys this guy's line of bullshit and the never ending moving of the goalposts. Like when will humanity have some self-respect and stand up for itself and say, get out of here, Fauci, he needs to go. So not only is he a criminal and he lied and he kills dogs, so he's an absolute freakazoid, but- I'm just amazed that people, especially in this part of the country, in New Jersey, in New York, it's like, open your fucking eyes. It's been two years and you're listening to this guy change and waffle and go from no mask to mask to now masks forever. And it's just, it's absurd. So I think he needs to, he needs to go. He obviously needs to be in jail. And, you know, if Trump gets back in office in 2024 and Fauci's still there, uh, especially the Congress, when it shifts back to Republicans in 22, needs to be investigated and he needs to be out of the public limelight for eternity. It amazes me how he's lasted this long uh, with this much of a documented criminal record. Yeah, I, th I think, uh, go ahead, no. With all the stuff waffling back and forth, it's just like, the, 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 now, it's, now it's five days. It's like, okay, so that's just because you're the, the working community is probably suffering. But there's two different sciences that they're operating on. I there's there's science. actual science where... You know, people are objectively looking at things and questioning. And then there's hashtag science, which is I am science. Well, you know who objectively looks at everything in our last clip on this segment? 
AJ weighed in in an emergency <laughs> special address from InfoWars Studio this Saturday. Did he quit this time too? He always quits. Let's hear his whole take on the entirety of it. Is an emergency Christmas Day warning to President Trump. You are either completely ignorant about the so-called vaccine gene therapy that you helped ram through with Operation Warp Speed, or you're one of the most evil men who has ever lived to push wow. this toxic poison on the public and to attack your constituents when they simply try to save their lives and the lives of others. We're about to lay out the basic incontrovertible facts that what you told Candace Owens just a few days ago is nothing but a raft of dirty lies. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, everybody's got to take. I think Mike might have articulated a little bit more. AJ's kind of in there a for ra- shock value. A raft alone. of dirty lies. I raft like that. A raft lies. of dirty lies. Float, floating down a river of misinformation. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, two plus two. I don't know. Answer that. What do you think when you hear AJ kind of get into it? You know, he's a little less desk slamming and threatening to quit than usual. Be honest with you. I'm kind of retarded. Sometimes he is. (laughs) I think it's just being dramatic and taking advantage of the moment, you know, like it pissed off a lot of people hearing that. But like I said before, you know, like, what do you expect him to say at this point? He has to support the vaccine that kept the country open, that didn't destroy the entire country, the economy, because if our country fell, the entire world falls, you know, um, I just, I just think people are overreacting. They should just ignore, like, you don't have to get the vaccine if you don't want it. You yeah, know? Just take it for what it is. I mean, everybody, believe me, there are people, believe it or not, who voted for Donald Trump, who love him, who think he was the greatest president in the history of the Republic who don't agree with everything he says or the way he does it. Just imagine mm-hmm. that free thinking, free will. Weird. It, it's, it's the way kind of the world works. And if you just were like a zombified lemming or, you know, some of the things that both AJ and Mike alluded to over the course of the, this whole interview, it, it's, it's, it's not the way to look at the world. If you believed anything, everything that everyone ever told you, you'd probably be dead. And a lot of these people are, are definitely cruising towards it with some of the way they are just kind of sheep in the whole narrative of it. I love I love when the Democrats try to play gotcha. Oh, well, you know, you say things about the vaccine, but your leader, Trump, uh, loves the vaccine. It's like, great. Well, I, unlike you, you know, who just listens to every word that Dr. Fauci says, makes action figures out of him, yeah. have Christmas tree, Christmas tree ornaments of him on your Christmas tree like an absolute sicko. I don't have to agree with everything that Donald Trump says, right? That's why we're the Republican Party. We believe in freedom. And if Donald Trump wants to believe in the vaccine, I can still believe that he is the best, most equipped leader to fight back against the deep state and the radical left and lead our country in 2024 without agreeing on 110% of his policy positions and everything. That's called freedom to think whatever you want. And Democrats obviously have no familiarity with that concept. Exactly. They expect us to like, like worship Donald Trump, like they worship Fauci and the the rest. It's just ridiculous. I mean, we are like the, the majority of Trump's voters, you know, base think for themselves. Like we, we know we don't have to agree with everything he says. I mean, for the most part we do, but when it comes to this one issue, Hey, it's okay to disagree. You know, we don't have to completely cancel him just because of one thing. I mean, obviously it's not just one small thing, but you know, because there's this shot is, you know, very bad and it is killing people, but people need to take into account, like this guy has to say certain things. His family says 
his family says opposite of like, you know, for the for the shot, for example, like they say the things that he cannot say. And I and I've said this in a previous um, episode, like look to, you know, his son, Don Jr. And how he speaks about certain things. Yeah, Don Jr. I, talked about the vax. Eric Trump has taken the stage with Robbie Kennedy Jr. and has talked directly against the vax and against Dr. Fauci. Exactly. So, I mean, those, those are all points that a lot of this stuff is for optics and it's like people have been accusing Donald Trump of only looking at the mainstream media. Donald Trump knows that there's a large part of his base that only looks at the mainstream media. So what they see on, on like the Candace Owens interview, which is a little bit outside of the mainstream media for me, in my opinion, uh, when you talk about all like the boomers and the older people and stuff like that, it is not the same stuff that you're going to get from AJ or from shows on like Mike's or ours or, or like OAN with Christina and, and things of that nature. You know, it, it, it's, it's, just a different narrative and a lot of people just they just don't get it they don't yeah they don't understand the element of finesse that is required uh you have to have finesse you know in in those respects especially in the mainstream media i think trump's playing it well i think alex jones obviously is is you know juicing it up because it's beneficial yeah you know to him and and you said trump's own kids are saying things uh that they want about the vaccine and with uh with uh rfk jr's book which is a great book great which book. i started to read a little bit it's like it, it, it's like the, him, a Trump, Trump's child standing on the stage with him and RFK Jr. talking about freedom of vaccine choice and Fauci and being a liar. It, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't distinguish between giving people the Republican Party the right to make whatever decision they want to make at the end of the day. And that's what makes us right and them wrong. And I don't even see an issue behind it. Here's the information. Here's the drugs. Make it's available. Decision. If people think yep. it's good for them, do it. And yep. That's it. And it shouldn't even be controversial. It's right. pretty. It's pretty funny. I just bought the uh, last point I'm going to make on this is I just purchased the audio book for RFK Jr. and I'm finishing up the Peter Navarro one, which was like 24 hours long. Um, but it was it was re- it was great. It, it was it was a great book. If you haven't heard it in, in Trump time, you need to go listen to it or read it. And then I'm going to give this same kind of you know. Uh, breakdown on the RFK one is I've just been able to skim parts of it online, but I was really disappointed that RFK isn't the person that narrates his own oh, audio book. Really? The, you know, they developed this vaccine. Can you, can you believe? I couldn't imagine listening believe? to that for six hours. <laughs> I mean, that's just. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to say that, uh, that the, the, R, the RFK book, uh, you know, I was saying, can you believe that it has not gotten more coverage? Uh, oh, it's bestseller. Bestseller, top of the charts, and the New York Times refuses to, to, to report on Where it. Where is the stories about that book? It's a great book. And, I, you know, I don't read too many books because, you know, you got to trust who's actually writing the book before yeah. you read a book. So I, I'm reading. I think it's great. It's like no coverage on such an important, impartial work that has gone on. And if you look at RFK's career and what he writes about and the things, you know, he he's a smart guy who – is not coming out of this from a partisan angle. Nope. And I don't understand why it doesn't get more coverage because that is just such great, great work that he's doing and bringing up great points. Yeah, and like like we said on the show before, we've pointed out, you know, Gavin Newsom publicly, one of RFK's best friends in real life. And then as soon as RFK took this narrative on the vaccine, completely demonized him and separated him from that whole thing. I don't know if they still talk on the slide or behind the scenes, but I mean, they are, they're like, their families are best friends and they, they've been publicly seen together for years uh, prior to the start of the, uh, of the scamdemic. And now look where we're at now. I don't even think they, they'd probably appear with each other publicly if you paid them to. 
I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they, they 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 were best buds, and, and you know those families they're, they're all mixed together and stuff like that. Yeah, they all know each other. I didn't just, I didn't know that they were good friends. That's so, Mike, we're gonna cut with you right now. We know we know you got an appointment, but we want to thank you for coming down so short after Christmas and and joining us for an episode today. You joined us for three amazing interviews, and then did a portion of the news with us. We want to direct everybody to your stuff. Like we don't share it enough. Tell us where we could find you on socials in the show. At Red White Truth everywhere, at Red White Truth on all platforms, ramping up the rumble. Uh, Instagram is always my go-to platform until they kick me off of there. And then on Getter, I'm just doing so much Getter work right now. We're starting to stream the show live every Wednesday on Getter. And then obviously for the fans out there, they know it comes out on Thursdays. So uh, go find Red White Truth and stay tuned because we will have some exciting announcements as we head into 2022. It's going to be amazing. And I'm very glad at the end of this year, I joined my favorite podcast, uh, Steak for Breakfast, to uh, bring the year home. So I appreciate it as always, everybody. We appreciate you. Red, White, and Truth, the host. Best podcast out there, probably besides ours. Mike Crispy, Right Side Broadcasting Network. Happy New Year, sir. We'll be in touch. And uh, thanks for joining us today. All right. Thank you, everybody. God bless. See ya. All right. Joining us first today on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's an America First candidate running for Congress out of New York. Uh, he's a former military, intelligence, and Air Force veteran, and uh, he's fighting for Western civilization in, in central New Yorkers. And we're very pleased to have Andrew McCarthy joining us today. Sir, welcome to Steak for Breakfast. Good to be here, gentlemen. Yeah, it's great to have you. What's going on? Did you have a good uh, Christmas holiday season going on for you? It was good. It was peaceful or as peaceful as it could be with everything going on. How about you guys? It wasn't bad. Well, no one I worked. So there was a lot of that. Yeah. And most, then, uh, mostly just worked. Yeah. I think everybody else was kind of with their families, but uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Do what you got to do. Yeah, I was, I was overindulging uh, in, in the cheese plates and uh, hanging out with family. It was good. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's good. Well, that's great to hear. All right, well, let's jump into it with you as we got a lot to cover. Uh, America First Candidate, that's kind of a, a, a statement that we really like to support and, and endorse on this show. That's one of the reasons we reached out to you at first. Although on the other side of the coin, we do like to hold everybody's feet to the fire. Let's get uh, started all the way from the beginning. What really encouraged you to running it in this race in a tough place for a Republican and a conservative, especially an America First one like New York? And then what are some of the things in your platform that make uh, you an America First candidate? Yeah, some of those answers are going to be sort of a repeat. Some of those answers are, uh, it blurs the line there. So uh, what encouraged me to start uh, the consideration process for running um, was some of the um, socioeconomic things going on in New York. Essentially, over the last 20 years, uh, my hometown and the region generally has been falling apart. Um, and, you know, when your main street turns into an eyesore, when you have all these manufacturing and, and production uh uh, bases leaving, whether they're a factory or whether it's something agricultural that gets shipped overseas, uh, it, it starts to become visible and evident in your day to day. It starts to unravel on a social fabric and you can see the, the time that you grew up in, which I always cherish, start to change in front of you. So um, that devolution and, and mixed with some of the political represent, representation that's come out of that region um, sort of had me uh, considering it a few years ago. Um, but within the last, I'd say ever since uh, towards President Trump's final year, you could start to see the deep state come out and have that, you know, they, they really weren't going to let, uh, uh, you know, his agenda go through or the election roll out the way it should have been. So um, a lot of 
uh, climactic factors towards the end that said, you know, what, I'll throw my hat in. And some of the, just to give you some background on where my region is, central and western New York, um, has been represented by Tom Reed and John Catco for the last uh, 20 years or so. Oof. Not sure if you're familiar with Yeah. So, so their voting records, which are pretty identical, um, don't really line up with not only the America First agenda, which, you know, is in lockstep with the community I'm from. Um, but yeah, they don't really line up with the best interests of our community. So you have, you know, two Chamber of Commerce guys, uh, one on the Ways and Means Committee. You'd think there'd be a lot of resources allocated or a lot of attention. Some of that, you know, fiscally, just to be totally transparent here, you'd think there'd be a lot of revenue going back to the district, uh, a lot of attention on getting, maintaining that, that manufacturing base, that agricultural base, and it's gone in the opposite direction. So all those jobs were outsourced. Uh, and this might sound like the you know, old wine and new bottles, the same old story, but what's going on throughout the Midwest is uh, really happening in my community. So that's, you know, we're like the top tip of the Rust Belt, I like to tell people. It kind of swings around from, uh, you know, like Kansas City area all the way up to upstate New York. And yeah. Where I'm, fr- where I'm from is similar to Appalachia or the Rust Belt, however you want to put it. But, uh, you know, we have the hardest working people in the country, so it doesn't really line up with, with what the culture is there. And, you know, when you follow... The, the, the breadcrumbs that always leads back to poor management, poor governance, uh, in this case, on a, uh, on a representation level in Washington, D.C. So it sounds like from uh, some of the things you described, how it affects the blue collar worker and, and definitely the economy and stuff like that. Someone who's getting into the race with your kind of platform has to be well received in your area. How's the campaign been treating you so far? So far, so good. We have, I mean, the grassroots part is the, is the best part about a campaign. I don't know uh, how far the weeds you guys want to get, but campaigns are kind of retarded generally. I mean, it's like the Washington machinery wants to, uh, you know, grow up its tentacles all the way into your district. And I'd rather just, you know, kind of listen to them. We've been a policy first campaign. So all of our policy has been generated. Uh, really, it cuts two ways through the America first agenda, but then also running that through the district and getting their feedback. So uh, when you have, as specific of our uh, platform as our healthcare is, or something like our, our jobs plan. This is all direct feedback from local representation, from just going to these, you know, these warehouse events, these um, uh, could be church events, whatever it might be that we just get feedback and say, what do you guys want in terms of a policy? What do you think works? Mm-hmm. So it's common sense policy. You know, I, I have an academic background. So when you line that up with some of the intelligence and, and research capacity, I think I'm an ideal candidate, you know, and I always told those guys, if we could find a better candidate, I would. And that's, that's one of the things that made me, you know, just jump in and say, if somebody, if somebody better can do it, I would endorse them tomorrow, but we're just, you know, we're tapped out and we're looking at a, um, uh, constituency that's just been abandoned and sort of disillusioned right now. So we're, we're, it's, it's not just me, it's sort of a full frontal assault. So when you talk about policies, um, you know, it's grassroots by definition they, they came up with it. I just embody it, represent it and go fight in Washington. So that's the plan. Hey, Andrew, I got a Mike Crispy here, RSBN quick question. Um, so sure. you're running in a primary obviously right now, what's been the, what's been the take with like the local New York, uh, GOP, you know, obviously, I don't know if you have some ties to the establishment, but usually in these primaries, they're always trying to, you know, game, you know, candidates to uh, drop out or they're trying to manipulate yeah. their ballot position or they're trying to, yeah. you know, mess with them one way or another with county endorsements. Like, I don't think people really yeah. realize the granular way that local counties play and really with who gets on the ballot and who's in the national spotlight. So 
What's been the process like with the uh, local GOPs, Onondaga County, and, you know, obviously the incumbent and all that, um, and where you fit into all that? Yeah. So the, so yes, it's a very granular process. And in New York, you have that old machine and those old ingredients of a machine that want to maintain uh, what they know and love, right? Mm-hmm. The self-preservation aspect where you, they're defending not only the candidates that are now out one read for, uh, for some misgivings that he had to retire with. And then CatCo uh, with a big target on his back nationally, they defend that and, and will fight to the death for that because they know that they're sending all all of their ideas are with these people, all of their, uh, their business aspirations, whether it's the, for the best interests of the con, uh, constituents or not, are, t- are attached to these people directly. So this is their line to Washington. This is their only, um, they feel in terms of like, uh, you, you talk about some county chairs that are, are, are tough nuts to crack. You talk about uh, local representation. It's, it's really bifurcated. And this is the Republican Party. Generally, it's sort of a microcosm. We have people that are all in that here that meet me one time and they say, this is great. We have someone fresh, someone young. That's the opposite of the people that have been here for the last 35 years. Yep. And then you have people that, that just uh, don't take a blind. I won't even take a meeting. You got to beat their door down. And the, the cool thing about them is that half the people that are reluctant to meet with you, when they do meet with you, they say, wow, this person's sharp, reputable individual. Um, won't play ball maybe on what their scale is, but, uh, definitely hear old, I'll hear every constituent I'll hear, I'll hear even old, uh, you know, uh, Republican, you know, rhino ideas just to see if we can sort of, uh, I don't know about amalgamate, but we can, we can have a conversation, right. And, and figure out where they fit into, to where the party's going generally. And I think that it's what it is. It's a sign. It's a symptom of, um, some anti-Trumpers or never Trumpers that still, still don't really have a voice nationally. So they, they have to hold out on a local level, on a regional level and sort of, um, squash things before they come up with candidates that aspiring candidates that speak for the actual base. Yeah. It makes a whole lot of sense. And, and I definitely think that's a great point. You know, Mike brings up the whole politics game of just being able to get into that nomination spot is something that a lot of people don't understand, especially on a national level. You know, you're representing the whole state, not just your district when you go in as a, as a House representative, but at the same time, the path to get there isn't just you throw your name in the hat. There's an election in November or whenever there's a special election, and then the next thing you know, one of two people is a, is a representative representing that district in the state. In, in the House of Representatives, it's, it's, it's a long and drawn out and, and you know, historically corrupt process. And yeah. it's one of those things that uh, it's it's interesting to hear a little bit of backstory on. Andrew, one of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, there's there's an amazing crop of America First candidates. We've had a majority of them on our show already. Everyone from Sabatini, Kenton Collins, all the way down to, you know, John Gibbs and Steve Kerr going across the country every way. We have three on today. Uh, Jake Evans and uh, Bianca Grassi are going to be joining us as well. Uh, throughout the course of the show today, and we're just trying to give the people a little bit of insight of what's going on. You know, in addition to these these candidates that we've had on, we've had a lot of former top Trump administration officials come through our show. Um, more recently, Dr. Peter Navarro, Cash Patel, Amanda Milius. They all worked in different uh, parts of the government under the Trump administration. Even John Gibbs, who was the assistant director to HUD under uh, uh, under Ben Carson, you know, and they told us one of the biggest things that they ran into uh, problematically over the course, especially the middle years of the Trump administration heading to, towards the end was the I guess you call it the swamp, but it's the career and unelected officials, uh, political appointees who are in high managerial positions within the government that kind of regardless of, of who's in office or, or what the agenda is, they're going to slow it down as much as possible. 
you know, Amanda Milius gave us some insight that saying there was even a good portion of that time, you know, year, year and a half where, where Mike Pompeo got rid of a lot of the real America first candidates inside the state department and, and put some people in there who were just establishment that knew if they held the line enough, it would look like they're America first, but they would never really get anything done. And then if they actually made it, they would immediately flip probably. Exactly. So, so, so the question I'm going to ask is, you know, there's a lot of people in there. You've got calling for, impeachment of Joe Biden already. You have people calling for real congressional hearings with subpoenas in regards to people like Peter Daszak and, and Dr. Fauci. Are, are you on board with getting to the bottom of some of these things that really, number one, slowed or stopped the America First agenda in the last couple of years under Trump? And number two, moving forward, slowing this administration down from, from kind of burning the entire country down from the inside out? Yeah, I mean, that, that was pretty loaded, but we'll sort of pick that apart. First off, you couldn't have had two better people on in terms of like the 30,000 foot up version with Peter Navarro yep. being, uh, you know, sort of top dog. And then him even getting shifted around. Right. I remember at one point, Kelly sort of um, recompartmentalized his title and, and capacity into uh, more like a like a national economic rather than trade. And I think it was to, um, you know, separate the the America first elements of the the oval from um some of the lighthizers and um uh minutian and obviously uh some some closer members uh of that uh, office to trump so anyways uh you have that element where it's happening on the top levels and then bringing amanda in is good context where it's in the weeds and she's she's sort of the middleman that's working with these political appointees and these career government um civil service capacities and we need to start though from from soup to nuts we need to look at the administrative state as like sort of like a fourth branch to attack yeah uh and that's that's exactly what it is because we'll, we'll always have the conversation about yeah pack up uh you know the federal fe pack up the courts at the federal level maybe a couple just maybe a justice or two uh you know if we can get the you know house and senate in order and then we'll we'll have a unified government if we can get a, a trump in when in reality, there's this whole other monster that could, uh, you know, that has tens of thousands of employees yep. within Washington and elsewhere that needs to be dismantled. So um, I know that you're having Patrick Witt on a little later this week. He's mm -hmm. sort of the pro in this category. So if you want to bring that question back about the administrative state, he'll, he'll go on. You'll have to cap him. But I'll tell you this. Uh, we need better professional, you know, elected officials that know that before they get to Washington, because I don't even know if. Uh, most of the people running left, right, or center could even have this conversation. They sort of find it out when they get there. So just being in the intelligence community, being in the military, having jobs in think tanks, I've seen it firsthand. And you have to have a very delicate touch, uh, but still come from a strategic level with cleaning out the swamp. I mean, it is what it is. I hate the cliche way of breaking it down, but it's your, these are creatures <laughs> that operate on an entirely different level than us. Uh, all the people you named are straight shooters uh, that I would trust with, you know, you know, babysitting your kids or whatever. I mean, these are Peter Navarro, Matt Emilius, uh, great people, but some of the people in Washington are deliberately and intentionally placed there because they're not great people. So yeah. uh, they're left there to undermine agendas. They, they stay throughout administration. So they'll be there for the rest of their lives. And uh, you know, you, what we're describing here is what the, you know, tinfoil hat on time. That's the deep state. It's not just the state department. It's, it's HUD, it's DHS, it's state, it's all the intel agencies, uh, it's DOD. I mean, geez, that's that's apparent now. If Afghanistan didn't show you that the DOD and the messaging from the Oval is right in bed with 
mainstream media, which ties into academia. This is one big blob. So you have to break it down. Um, And getting back to impeachment, I I always I always um, hesitated to use that term until Trump's second impeachment. There should have been a first. Obviously, that was a hoax. And then the second was just sort of kicking someone in their ass on the way out. It was it was total. Um, it was Bush lead stuff coming out of Nancy Pelosi's Congress. But um, getting back to it on the first time around, I said, you know what? This is such bullshit. We can't be brought down to this. And, you know, you can fight in other ways and you could be you can execute in different ways and be efficient in different ways. But now it's just like after Afghanistan, it's burying some of the Fauci stuff, some of the COVID stuff. Why, why could we not consider impeachment? Why would you not? And then the, and now you're seeing this just roll out over Christmas, which is an insult slap in the face when they're moving all these illegal immigrants around that have way more rights than we do. It's a separate conversation, but they're moving them all over the United States in planes on Christmas. This sounds like a CIA operation that you yep. read about in a book or some, or, you know, that you'd see in Hollywood. Uh, that's happening for one. They're happening to the reddest areas of the country and it's deliberate. So, uh, I mean, this sounds like something Alex Jones would have brought up like 15 years ago and it's <laughs> unfolding. So yeah, the very, very impeachable items across the board. And, and those are three off the cuff, but I'm sure we could find more, right? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think when you talk about things that you just pointed out, the uh, well, just very, it's very like surreptitious, like just, hey, we're just going to hide these, like, look, look at my hand over here and then like load a bunch of dudes in an unmarked plane over here. Merry Christmas, Pennsylvania. Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations. But when you talk about the destabilization of the border, the the weaponization of the DOJ and the uh, lack of anything going on at the DOD especially with some foreign theaters, China and Taiwan, and then uh, Russia, Ukraine, and, of course, Iran always in the the background, in addition to North Korea starting to heat up a little bit. Uh, It kind of looks like, you know, this administration is well ill-equipped to handle any of these instances in any foreign theaters right now, especially what they've been doing to the military for the last year, which was, you know, dismantling them, delegitimizing them, and trying to find the uh, root causes of white rage. Well, yeah, well, there's there's a couple things going on there. We could talk about the national security climate right now, which we have to go back to Biden's first uh, first go around, which they totally polarized the situation with Russia. When we saw an ascending China, we we had an opportunity with Russia to at one point there was even talks. This is a bipartisan thing of bringing them into NATO. Now, I don't know if that's realistic or not, but I can tell you that you don't want to isolate them to the point that they did under the uh, eight years of Obama because Trump was was dealt the hand between that and the politicized side of things with Russia, the total, total hyperventilating on Capitol Hill of all the fictitious uh, nonsense in that dossier, that it was it was deliberate. Again, that's a deep state handoff to Trump to say, hey, not only is there not a realistic uh, international paradigm that you could play in, but we're going to politicize it so that you can't work with them. And this is just from a from a global perspective to get Russia to play ball. This right. is globalists saying you refuse to culturally and uh, and geopolitically and economically, uh, you'll come over to the globalist agenda. Uh, we will crack you in every way. And the, the best way to do that uh, in the, the, the front, you know, the, the tip of the spear, so to speak, would be um, the U.S. So our so we had to take sanctions with them. We rev them up to the point where not forget keeping them, you know, maintaining an ally or a relationship there where we could counter China. They're now in bed with China. They're now about to fight back. Uh, against some of this stuff literally within the next few weeks here and uh, and take over, if not half of Ukraine, all of Ukraine. And I think some of the 
you know, we've, we've missed so many lanes of communication there, but uh, we, if you, China, the, the conversation about China would, would be an entirely different ball of wax because we blew so many opportunities over the last 20 years along the way. Taiwan is now China's. Uh, we can't put troops on the ground there because there's no political appetite for it. No, no living room in the country would accept to that if you were to take a straw poll of, uh, of anybody if they want to get into another foreign entanglement. But we had plenty of, there were dominoes to fall decades ago that could have prevented this. One of them is Russia. Um, there's The other thing is not building them up but economically. So we've, t- we've taken the last two generations to prop them up, to build their economy, to grow their middle class, which is now the size of the United States of America. Yep. Uh, and it's tough to g- compete with anybody when they have such an economic engine behind them. They're, they're, they're amassing grain supplies, meat supplies. They're only, one of their only um, soft spots in terms of going to war or, or anything strategic in terms of a kinetic conflict would be, well, they, they, they're not set agriculturally. They don't have protein, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they're taking care of that now. So when you take a look at some of their leapfrogging and uh, military technology, when you look at their espionage tactics that we're, that we're always late to the game on, the economy that we created ourselves and that are well, not we, but our, our politicians have created over the last two generations and some of the leapfrogging in, uh, you know, uh, space and, and hypersonic technology, China's definitely first place right now. And it pains me to say that. Yeah. So it, it is what it is, it, you know, so I, I don't think, uh, and, and I know, I know you had more of a, you know, an inside, an inside, uh, the Oval Office perspective, the national security. Oh, you know, your other point was this, the uh, radicalization of the military. Right. Uh, now, w- r- going in, throwing my hat in, I knew right off the bat, there were going to be some things coming out of my mouth uh, that could get my security clearance snatched. You know, nothing top secret or anything like that, but they will look for any reason to sit, you know, come down on somebody uh, to revoke <clears throat> my, my current service, which would be uh, as a as a guardsman in a reserve capacity, so I've already washed my hands of the fact that they're going to come down to me at some point. So we could just say what we're going to say. Uh, the military has been hyper politicized. It's primarily coming from one party. It's not advantageous to grand strategy. We are competing with the total opposite of what hardens and strengthens the military in China. And um, I can say that it leads to more of a fractious relationship among the ranks yep. and you have a total and something that we've always been so good at in the u.s is creating a relationship between officers and enlisted where there's a dialogue that i know that's fractious i could tell you that uh from friends that are in and that have just got just gotten out covid's now introduced so you're they're politicizing every single element and that's intentional right yep. to, to gatekeep on who can actually get in you can't get into the military without a covid shot now so I don't know if you want to take a look at demographics and Appalachia and the rural South and uh, who's signing up right now, but the people that have been going to war and fighting and dying uh, in, in some of our urban communities too, obviously in, in enlist, uh, they they can't come into the fray anymore because you're talking about the uh, mirrored demographics that don't align with the COVID narrative, that aren't playing ball with the current administration. Yep. So these these urban kids aren't going to go sign up. These rural kids aren't going to go sign up. And who does that leave left in the in, in the military, which is a gateway to the intelligence community for people to get out? Um, if you guys can do the math, that's a full circle back to self-preservation in the deep state in the Oval Office. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, I'd venture to say they're having a hard time drawing from the uh, the pool to get people in the special teams too now. Just yep. given, yeah. I mean, <laughs> look at the profile of someone in uh, on a team, a team guy, like the vagina uh, hat's not the. <laughs> yeah they're they're not uh they're they're not with her we'll put it that way yeah 100 percent. 
Well, Andrew, this has been awesome getting to know you today. We're going to continue to track and, and, and support your campaign. We do have an interactive listenership that definitely likes to get involved, everything from door knocking to campaign donations. So why don't you tell us where we could find you across social medias before we cut with you? Yeah, definitely throw it in the show notes, but you have uh, McCarthy for Congress NY.com plus my Twitter handle, uh, a McCarthy NY, very active on there. We, we like to have fun on Twitter. So uh, some serious stuff, some not so serious stuff, but definitely follow along. We're going to be filing here in the next uh, probably four or five days once we have some maps. So please feel free you know, check back in with us because you can't donate now, but you, you will be in a matter of weeks, matter of days. So we really appreciate the support, guys. Yeah, and we really appreciate you. We're going to live link your Twitter and your campaign website, of course, in today's show notes. And then, uh, you know, moving forward in the spring, we'd love to have you jump back on with us and give us a little bit of update as we get closer to the uh, midterms. For sure. Yeah. It's sort of like a funnel right now, right? We're having these conversations that are up in the air about bigger picture stuff, the district as, as it unfolds. But when we get maps, when we get, you know, other primary candidates and um, some, some stronger talking points in terms of practical, tangible items, I'd love to come back on and get busy with you guys. That'd be great. And we'd love to have you. Yeah. All right. This is uh, an America first candidate. Air Force veteran, he's fighting for the Southern Tier out of New York 10. And as I forgot to mention when we introduced him, Amanda Milius endorsed. Andrew McCarthy, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. (laughs) That's big. Thanks, guys. All right, joining us now on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he is a husband, Christian, and a conservative trailblazer, and he's fighting for the great American comeback to retake America, running in Georgia 6. Mr. Jake Evans, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, guys. Good to be on today. It's great to have you joining us. What's going on in uh, your neck of the woods, sir? How was your holidays? It was great. You know, it's uh, rested for a couple days, and, and this week is a slow week with uh, New Year's, and then next year we'll be all on here, here in Georgia. Uh, May 24th is the primary election. Early voting starts in late April, so we will be all on full court press starting January. Oh, that's great. Well, I guess that downtime benefits us more because you took some time out of that busy schedule in between the holidays to jump on with us today and get your platform out to our listenership. That's right. That's right. All right. Let's jump right into it. So America First candidate and uh, you're running on one of those platforms. Retake America's in, in your Twitter handle. I definitely like the, the sound of that. What compelled you to get in this race right now and how's it been going so far moving into uh, the end of redistricting and heading into the primaries and stuff like that? Yeah, well, the campaign is going great. We announced back in July and redistricting here in Georgia uh, was last year. And and the the district actually actually went from a D plus three to uh, an R plus 15. So it's a (laughs) much more Republican district. But I was running a a proud, bold, unafraid America first campaign back in July. I didn't know what the district was going to look like. Uh, because I'm, I'm a firm believer that America First Agenda delivered for the best years in American history, de- definitely since the Reagan era. Um, record low in un- unemployment, secure borders, national security. America was was respected across the planet, and I'm here to reinstate that. Uh, we've had tremendous momentum. We'll finish this quarter uh, over a million cash on hand, so we will wow. likely be number one in, in fundraising. Uh, we've got tremendous support on the endorsement side. Speaker Newt Gingrich, Rick Grinnell, uh, Congressman Bob Barr, who's a congressman here in Georgia, uh, and also a lot of local community le- leaders have fully endorsed the campaign. Uh, and I'm running, you know, a people first campaign to reinstate the, the power of the everyday American and make sure we can remove all the special interests 
uh, and the swampyism in Washington, D.C. reinstated to the people. And so that message has been resonating. Uh, and we need a new generation of conservative leaders. And that's uh, I actually turned 35 on Thursday, December 30th. So my birthday is two days away. Oh, nice. Happy uh, pre-birthday. <laughs> Thank you. But we're, we're, we're fully campaigning on that and, that. and that has been resonating greatly with the people. And it's been a blessing. Yeah, it's, it's, it definitely sounds like it. And uh, I think the the money that you guys got in your war chest combined with some of those uh, endorsements, I'm going to have to point out Rick Rennell. You talk about America first, Trump era policies. He is definitely doing a lot of work at the direction of Donald Trump still. And I think to get an endorsement from him probably will eventually lead to that proxy that gets you back to an endorsement from President Trump. We can only hope. Um, you talked about some of the things that were important to your campaign, national defense, strong borders, the economy, stuff like that. Why don't you bring up a, a few of those points that you want to develop a little bit more that directly affect not only your district, but the overall people of Georgia? Sure. Well, what I tell group after group is we're going to sell and deliver for the American people. We're going to provide security for our people, uh, education for our children, liberty for our rights, uh, and limited government for our country. And, And if you look at what's happening now, Biden presented the American people with the ultimate bait and switch. He campaigned on moderation. He campaigned on being a president uh, for everyday Americans. And he has been anything but. He has been one of the most big spin, progressive, liberal Democrats we've had since probably FDR. Uh, And you look at the results. The results are um, people won't get off the couch and go to work because they're getting paid to lay on the couch. Uh, We've got an inflationary crisis uh, where I'm pumping going to pump up my gas tank and I'm paying $20 more than I paid a year ago. Um, We've got a border crisis uh, where we're bringing in fentanyl, we're bringing in gangs, criminals, uh, where people don't respect the law and order dynamics of this country. Uh, And you've got an international affairs crisis, in my opinion. Uh, Within a year of his presidency, you got Hamas uh, and Israel attacking uh, Jerusalem. Uh, And you've got what happened in Cuba, the human rights violations. And I worry that we're going to have more emboldened enemies like China seeking to retake Taiwan. Uh, You've got a more aggressive Russia uh, seeking to overtake parts of Ukraine. And so we've got to get back to a peace through strength uh, dynamic here in the United States and globally to ensure that America is respected across the planet. Uh, So I'm running that all on those those major America first pillars and a lot of people told me when I first announced my candidacy and the type of campaign I was running in a suburban district, I was crazy. But the overwhelming support that we've had on the donor side, on the grassroots side has been strong. And we'll be carrying that message all the way through to Election Day to when I'm in Washington, D.C., fighting for the people. Mm. Yeah, that, that really sounds like, uh, you know, a full plate of issues. But ones I, I really don't think there are any that you could take off. You know, you talk about. You know, let's just pick through that a little bit. You talk about the borders, first of all. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest aspects that a lot of people, and I'm not saying that you forgot about it, but the needs to remember that has uh, been magnified by this whole crisis with the amount of people and drugs and crime that has come through in addition is the the big issue we have with the, with the human trafficking aspect of it, especially in regards to the children. Wait, Kamala said don't come, though. Don't come. Yeah, but, you know, people who have worked in the Trump State Department have, have clearly stated, as of some of the uh, investigative reporters, like, you know, uh, Jorge Ventura and others that we've had on the show, one in 1.5 out of three kids goes missing that comes across the border, period. Whether they're lost in the system, whether they're lost to human trafficking, there's just no way to determine that. Those aren't good numbers. And not at all. I, I mean, anything 0.5 of a human being is is definitely not a good number. And it's, it's one of those things that I think we need to take into consideration with all the drugs, with all the crime and stuff that's coming through as well. And then, like you touched on national defense, 
I think that uh, one of the big aspects that kind of encompasses everything around the America First agenda is pushing back at the overall COVID narrative. Now, now whether or not, you know, how you see it from your perspective or, or how important of a thing it is or wasn't, obviously there's been a lot of mistakes and mismanaging, especially for the last, you know, month we heard from from Joe Biden, I believe, on Christmas morning that, you know, this is no longer a federal issue. The states need to handle it when he was supposed to be the person that claimed he was going to solve COVID, cure Wait, COVID. Does that mean there's no more federal mandates? And cancer. Well, that'll, that'll be yet to be decided. But at, at, the, at the same time, you know, I'm sure it, it, it hasn't been as bad. We talked to Mike, you know, the whole COVID thing. There are parts that still do masks and, and this, that, and the other thing. But when it comes down to, like, the vaccine mandates and the way some states have locked down, you've seen, like, nursing home deaths and stuff like that, what's your take on the whole COVID narrative? And how do you think, like, not only the people of Georgia, but when you get into the House and you represent the whole country, the country can better, you know, get past this? Yeah. Well, it's a great question. And the Democrats are using the, the COVID narrative. It's, it's the epitome of fear-mongering. Yeah. Uh, the liberals want more government dependency. They want people to look at the government for all the answers when they're supposed to wear a mask, when they're supposed to get vaccinated, how they're supposed to speak, whether you speak wokeism, not wokeism. And the irony is the liberals early on were saying, oh, look at the data, look at the data. Well, let's look at the data. I mean, COVID for the overwhelming majority of people is an everyday cult. And the new Omicron strand is, that's exactly what it is. Many people are catching in and most people are catching and don't even know they have it. Is it highly contagious? It's very high, it, based upon the data it is, it's so highly contagious that there's almost no way to prevent it. Masks aren't gonna prevent it. Vac vaccines aren't gonna prevent it. Boosters aren't gonna prevent it. And so shutting down the entire economy, it, it, in my opinion, and I'm, you know, here in Georgia, and we've been fortunately open, uh, but it's done irrevocable damage to, to industry after industry. It's created heightened drug dependency. Uh, and I, there's many, many people who are not going to show up to work. I've talked to small business owner after small business owner. And the reality is all these government shutdowns change human behavioral patterns. You know, people became accustomed to laying, laying on the couch. People became accustomed to getting dependent on, you know, pills or, or other opioids. And yes. that's already a crisis in and of itself. And so, as I said very early on, I think that the uh, the adverse consequences of these shutdowns far outweigh any benefit. And I think the data has proven that. But the liberals don't want COVID to go away. No, they sure don't. Well, they got to make it uh, last another couple of years, you know. Yeah. That's right. And and very briefly, so I'm I'm the only lawyer in Georgia history to overturn two elections in the same race. Last year, I represented the Pennsylvania House all the way before the United States Supreme Court. This was the case we should have won. It was heavily followed by the media. It ended up splitting 4-4. Uh, and Chief Justice Roberts voted with the liberal wing. Yep. And this was a pre-election challenge. And this that was devastating because what happened was because our country's highest court didn't take up this case. And it was a very easy case. The case effectively said, said that there, there's an election clause in the United States Constitution, which says that only state legislators can pass laws governing the time, manner, and place of elections. So only people elected by the people can pass laws. You can't create election laws to the courts. What the liberals did last year and what they're going to do next year is they're going to file election case after election case using COVID as a pretext in order to erode away our electoral protections. And so you're going to see strand after strand after strand. And I think they're going to they get to make them sound more scary and more scary because they need a justification to erode away our electoral protections to the courts.
I think Jake, I mean, I, that, that case you're talking about, and I followed that case as well. I mean, it is pretty incredible how, you know, the president said that, and you're talking about it. So clearly the fact that you cannot unilater- unilaterally change the election laws without the state legislators voting. And I want to ask you that because election integrity has been one of the biggest things that, you know, president Trump and other people, mainstream, you know, Republican side figures have been talking about is election integrity. How does your primary challenger stand from yourself as it uh, relates to the fact of election integrity and that issue in the election, are you leaning into it more than others? Um, just talk a little bit about uh, the race and election integrity as an issue for Georgia voters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm leaning into it hard. I mean, as yeah. far as congressional candidates in the United States, there are very few that have fought harder and delivered results on election integrity as comparison to me. I've got to be one of the top couple. Um, I've been in Georgia. Election integrity is the number one polling issue. President Trump lost by 11,000 votes in Georgia. There's over 5 million votes cast. The whole election last year here in Georgia was just really unusual, highly suspect. That's stated at best. Our secretary of state sent absentee ballot applications to everybody in the state, first class mail, which means that the mail is not returned, it's sent on to whatever address that yep. someone else re- requested it go to. Um, and again, like I said, I fought on the front lines. I've, I was fighting for election integrity in 2018 when I overturned two elections in the same race. I contested another one last year in Georgia and Long County, uh, which we should have overturned. We had a liberal judge who should, that voted the wrong way, but we determined there's over a thousand people that voted twice. And the reality is last year, more absentee and mail-in ballots were cast in the election than any election in American history. An empirical fact is absentee and mail-in voting is the least secure way to vote. Anyone that says that that's not a true true fact is a hyper-partisan. They lack credibility. Yep. If you're going to mail in a ballot, which you don't have to show government-issued ID, and you're just putting in a Dropbox or mailbox, how are you identifying who the person who they say they are is who they are? Uh, so it's a huge issue. But I will tell you that the Republican establishment here, they don't like people talking about election integrity. Um, they, they actually cut me out of my congressional. I was running in six. They cut me out of it. We're moving back into it. But because I made election integrity a frontline issue, they want to move on from it. They don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't know how that is a good idea, because the reality is everyday voters in Georgia. And I talked to many of them knocking on doors. They are concerned. They feel as though the election was rigged here in Georgia and the establishment can be condescending and tell these folks, oh, bless your heart. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not going to persuade them that the elections are secure. We've got to take action to address it. And that's one of my lines in my campaign is there's no room in the Republican Party for weak need politicians. We've got to have strong America first trailblazer candidates. They're going to stand up to the woke mob, stand up to the GOP establishment and get this country back on track. So, so one, one more quick question. So you're saying that in the, the establishment, the, the swamp, if you will, in Georgia is so strong that in the redistricting, they, as a punishment to you, redistricted you out your town out of the new line of what you're originally running in my precinct. It wasn't yeah. even a town. It was a precinct. And if I showed you how blatantly <laughs> obvious it was, yeah. it was yeah. completely blatant. And they told me they don't want people talking about election integrity. We need to be forward focused and, yep. and blah, 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 blah. So it's just it, it's a strong, strong current against talking about any of those issues. But 
you, what I keep telling them is you can't tell people how to think people think for themselves. So you've, you've got to make them feel secure in elections and we've got to have, unfortunately it has created a divide between the elite and the everyday, you know, candidates and voters, the election integrity really has. Yeah. I definitely think that that's some excellent points and a good question from Mike there because you know, I, I think one of the things we've pointed out on this show, I, I don't know, Mike, if you covered it as much, you know, you got someone as popular and someone who's running away with her reelection, like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene out there in Georgia. One of the things she sometimes gets hit on is not pumping up that election stuff as much as people wish they would. And then when you get to the bottom of it, you know, we talked to candidates like you. We talked to candidates like uh, Mike Collins. We're going to be jumping in here with uh, um, Patrick Witt, who's also running in Georgia here next week. And you start to paint this picture of what it's like uh, locally at the at the municipal level and stuff going on in Georgia. There are consequences for talking about election integrity when you're running for a house seat. And that is redistricting. That is, you know, making you sound like a crazy person. People who might be more moderate or, or maybe even independent, you kind of isolate them away because you become like a you know, always Trumper and stuff like that. And I really think people need to start taking into consideration that, you know, we are going to get to the bottom of these things. But that power comes in numbers and where we don't have them right now, those people that are currently in the House of Representatives and the Senate, they're doing a lot to hold the line, but they can't overtly do it because what are they going to do? They're going to be removed from committees. They're going to be demonized in the media and they're going to continue to do the things that they, you know, they're going to be sat down in front of, uh, you know, things like January 6th committee and stuff like that. And it just, you know, kind of takes it out of context. I think this is a battle that definitely needs to be fought and for surely can be won. It's just going to have to be a little bit down the road, unfortunately, just based off of the numbers game right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's right. And we've we've got, in in my opinion, the campaign that I'm running is you've got to have true unafraid conservatives because what's happening is the liberals are gradually pulling this country further and further to the left. And all the rhinos that exist, in my opinion, they're perpetuating and if we don't have strong conservatives that are going to stand up, you know, like a tree stump, uh, we're going to gradually be eroded into another European mediocre socialistic nation because yep. that current is strong. And, and there's it's like the 13 Republicans that voted in favor of the infrastructure bill. We've got to have people that are willing to stand up, be strong. And, we, and again, we need a new generation of conservative leaders with new ideas, new uh, perspectives, new energy to get this baby going back in the direction and to bring in new voters into the fold, the millennials, the Gen Zs. Uh, and that's what my candidacy has been all about. I definitely think it's that grassroots, like you said, knocking on doors and just having conversations with people that really starts to bring them back into into the you know, whole narrative of it because a lot of people feel disenfranchised basically from the fallout of the 2020 election where we did see a lot of rigged and stolenness all the way up through now where, where buyer's remorse is at an all-time high. Somebody put out a poll this morning that said among Democrats, you know, Joe Biden's hovering around mid-20s and Kamala Harris is around 12% favorability in their own party. And it's even worse with independents. Like how's never happened before. Ever. And how could a person that got the most votes in the history of the universe completely be there in, in, in less than 12 months? 80 million votes. Um, yeah. So well, they were finding votes. I mean, here in Georgia, they stopped counting ballots in the two liberal, the Democratic bastions, which is Fulton County and, and DeKalb County. Yep. They stopped at like 7.30 or 8, and then they suddenly started finding ballots for weeks on end. I mean, it seems to me like you wanted to know what the score was, score was to see how many points you needed. I mean, it was just super, like I said, at best, suspect. At worst, fraudulent. Yeah. 
Do you, do you see this COVID narrative being used as something to weaponize the midterms now? You know, we, we're all starting to find out just based off the numbers that like things with, uh, you, you know, the current strain, obviously it's highly contagious, but but like we talked about, it's definitely not as severe and something that helps, number one, build towards herd immunity and number two, helps us get past this whole thing. But the, the way it's being portrayed from the White House and, and, and from, you know, the CDC and the NIH and the FDA and OSHA, they're kind of painting a different picture like where, you know, the numbers of, of actual things going on doesn't really show massive hospitalizations or deaths. But at the same time, they're they're saying it is and, and they're also continuing to demonize the unvaccinated and at the same time. What does that do? It kind of like brings in those scare tactics to maybe open up things like free for all mail and balloting in some of those big states like, like Georgia moving forward. Yeah, no, you, yeah. my prediction is they're going to create strand after strand and, and we're getting close. I mean, we're getting closer to the midterms now uh, to create a justification for droves of lawsuits to utilize the same election integrity erosion tactics that they did last time, mass drop boxes, mass absentee ballots being sent out. They effectively had no, uh, signature verification. Nope. In Pennsylvania, they effectively had none. So, I mean, I could fill out you guys' ballot and just say, oh, this is mine and send it in. And, and it's also harder to keep tabs on how many ballots are being cast. So I have utmost confidence. And the other thing is they want to, in my opinion, rewrite human nature. I mean, they yep. want humans constantly looking to the government. Give me the government handout. And that's the reason why every single time Democrats take over, they do two things. First, they open the border. Yep. They think that the people coming across the border are going to become government dependents. If you're government dependent, which way are you going to vote? Democrat. Second thing, they try to shove down major election reform. They try to do it with H.R. 1 and H.R. 4. They wanted those done so badly that they're willing to potentially eliminate the filibuster to get it through. But they concluded with Manchin and Cinema, they probably weren't going to have the votes. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to bring that up again next year. Raphael Warnock, who's the Democratic senator here in Georgia, that's one of his frontline issues. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, you're exactly right. Yeah, they, they really need to get him out of there as well. I did see Kamala Harris. We're going to talk about it in, in the news portion of our show after we're done with, you know, some of these interviews today on how, uh, you know, we really get to uh, see Kamala Harris was running around the uh, – the news circuit this weekend, and she was kind of talking about the failure of democracy in the country and for the Republic just happens to be exactly what you just mentioned, not passing these voter bills, which basically makes it to where real conservatives can never win elections ever again. That's, that's their end game. Um, they'll, they'll take every single rhino under the sun, but when it comes to the America first movement that we're seeing now, people like you, Sabatini, Joe Kent, you know, you got uh, Collins, Kara, Gibbs, uh, Python, uh, the list goes on and on of people that have come through this show. When you talk about the things that they want to do and what they see at, at the grassroots level and in their states and in their district, uh, you know, the Beltway's in for something like they've never seen before. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, we we need a new generation of conservative leadership. I've, that's been my campaign one after another. And we, we have to hold strong and elect true conservatives. The rhinos will destroy this country. They're, they're as dangerous, in my opinion, to the country as the Democrats are 100%. because they're, they're the enablers. They allow the gradual shift and pull further and further to the left. And we've got to we've got to control the narrative. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm sick and tired of too many people being ashamed and disappointed in being an American patriot, being proud to be an American. What made this country the greatest country on earth, which is pro-liberty, 
you know, pro-entrepreneurship, less taxes. I mean, those should not be controversial topics. This is something that all the voters I talk to should be proud and not ashamed to discuss. And I want to create a narrative and confidence for candidates and individuals throughout the nation, throughout Georgia 6, my district, to where they can come forward and talk about it and not worried about the wokeism and they're being suppressed and the CRT artificial, artificially dividing our children. Uh, and so my campaign has become bigger than I am because uh, it's a movement in and of itself, but it does start in Georgia's 6th District. Yeah, it certainly does. And uh, definitely looking extremely promising there. Jake, this has been awesome getting to know you today. Um, we know that the campaign trail is going to get really heated up moving forward after the new year. Sometime into the spring before the midterms, we'd love to have you back on our show, a little conversation on, on what some of the issues are becoming more of the forefront then, in addition to an update on your campaign. Uh, we got a really interactive listenership that goes out there. They'll knock on doors. They'll share your social medias, and they'll, they'll get in those campaign donations and help uh, you know pump up that war chest for you guys. Why don't you tell everybody that's listening to the show where they could find you across socials? Sure, absolutely. Well, first, it's a pleasure to join you guys today and, and share kind of what my mission and platform is all about. We've had tremendous success, but my website is jakeevans.org, and then my social media handle is jakeevansga. So uh, please join the team, join the volunteer team. If you can pitch in, you know, 25 bucks, that adds up over time and follow us. Uh, it's going to be it's a very special campaign already, and I think it's going to continue to build uh, and become something that's going to uh, change the narrative nationally. Yeah, it definitely sounds like something special going on out down there. Is that Christian conservative trailblazer running in Georgia six? Jake Evans, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. You got it, guys. Thank you. All right, so we've had. I wish you a merry deathmas, mm. and now apparently we have and a COVID new year, mm. all encompassing of everything. Um, the real reason, a majority of it, why the 2020 presidential election was be able to be rigged and stolen, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, I've heard some people in the media starting to talk about, you know, there was a clip circulating around right now. I don't know if you guys have saw it of, of Shepard Smith. I think it's a little bit dated, but he's just saying, like, he's so sick and tired of COVID everything. He's like everything, really. Like, everything COVID is just annoying. It's like you can't even think about reporting New news now, because even when you report new news and spin it, like let's just say there's a murder in New York City, then you go and ask these politicians on what they think of it. Like people like Kamala Harris or Jen Psaki will say, oh, yeah, people are frustrated because of COVID. So they're, you know, going to rob a loaf of bread and then wind up shooting somebody in the face. God. Makes total sense. Yep. Face the Nation over the weekend brought up the long term and possibly lasting effects of what the scamdemic has kind of done to the entirety of the country. I thought their take was a little bit interesting. Let's listen to it real quick. I want to get to underreported stories uh, as well. Jan? Oh, I, for me, I mean, I, my kids hear me rant about this every day, so I may as well tell you guys. It's, it's the crushing impact that our COVID policies have had on young kids and children. Mm. Uh, th by far, you know, the least serious risk for serious illness. Uh, but, I mean, even teenagers, you know, a healthy teenager has a one in a million chance of getting and, di and dying from COVID, which is way lower than you know, dying in a car wreck on a road trip. I thought she was uh, say but they vaccine. have suffered and <laughs> sacrificed the most, especially kids in 
underrepresented at-risk communities. And now we have the Surgeon General saying there's a mental health crisis mm -hmm. among Imagine our that. kids. Uh, the risk of suicide, girl, suicide attempts among girls now up 51% this year. Uh, black kids uh, nearly twice as likely as, as white kids to die by suicide. I mean, mm. school closures, lockdowns, cancellation of sports. You couldn't even go on a playground in the D.C. area uh, without cops scurrying, uh, getting, shooing the kids off. Tremendous negative impact on kids. And it's been an afterthought. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hurt their dreams, their future, learning loss, risk of abuse, their mental health. And now with our knowledge, our vaccines, uh, if our policies don't reflect a more measured and reasonable approach for our children, mm -hmm. they will be paying for our generation's decisions uh, the rest of their lives. And that, to me, is the greatest underreported story of the past year. Kind of interesting to uh, hear that coming out of CBS News over the weekend on, yeah. a, on a roundtable. Yeah. I mean, I know they're probably hurting for guests because of the Christmas holiday. I will have to say, this is a narrative that we've talked about on this show even before Antoinette's become a host for us last July. So, you know, we've, we, we've talked about it because, well, a majority of us have kids, and, and we see what the effects are of them becoming just brainless zombies who, you know, do nothing. And I've talked about a lot of the things that – my kids had to go through with like, you know, the distance learning and stuff to where they'd be watching like Spanish YouTube videos or doing arts and crafts or even PE where they get like a rubber ball and throw it into a laundromat with like 30 other kids on Zoom and they call that PE and stuff like that. You know, and it's just the overall decline of, of, of mental health, the rise of suicide, drug abuse and, and, you know, violence in the domestic fashion and just a lot of the, the long-term, I think, educational goals that may never be able to get recovered from all this. What do you guys think about when you when you hear somebody go on like legacy media and start talking about that? It's amazing that they're actually touching it because the long-term effects yeah. of all this stuff is going to be like, I mean, this is going to be a whole generation of people that are slightly fucked up. Yeah, especially like the really young ones, like my son's age, for example, who's three. You know, their parents that are working, you know, and they have to put them in daycare and you know, um, like little, you know, schools where they do mask these little kids and like the teachers are masked, like, like some of the most formative years of these, these children are being destroyed. I, I just, I mean, it's really sad. And I don't, you know, let's see what happens. I mean, there's still hope, you know, but it's affected a lot of people and and the kids are going to pay for it dearly for sure. Yeah. Many, yeah. Know. I think if you're a parent listening and you, and you want to get involved and you don't see what the big picture is in regards to this, you know, there's so much science saying right now that these variants are spreading faster, but getting weaker. Actual science, not hashtag science, actual oh. science. I am science. Uh, then, then that, especially when you look into the numbers that affects the kids, which is multiplied so much than like, let's just say medically incurred adults. Uh, if, if you're listening and you don't think that closing schools is something that they're definitely looking to do after the new year and the holiday season's over when revenues go back down from all of the travel and uh, people stop buying stuff in the store before the spring, you need to get your head examined because it's definitely on the table, especially in places like New York, New Jersey, Washington, yep. D.C., the state of Illinois, the state of Washington, California, places like that. You expect your kids to be going back to distance learning for things that like you've had to seen it at your own kids schools no no super spreader events nobody's dying of covid you know believe me they're looking for it they're waiting for a teacher to drop dead from this they're waiting for some kid to get a breakthrough case because you know you've got some 
super overweight kid with diabetes and then wind up dying of it and being able to blame on COVID. Guess what? Not even that's happening. The numbers are probably haven't even hit 10 nationwide for that. So you have to kind of understand what the narrative is and then listen to things like that. They call it breakthrough cases. I call that a breakthrough talking point right there. Yeah. Because it didn't look like anybody at the table was really, uh, number one, prepared for, and number two, uh, really wanted to feed into that. Um, speaking of which, it, it is going to be New Year's here in a few days. And, uh, you know, we, we've got the death dealer himself out there talking about, you know, after he's already canceled your Christmas, and I hope everybody at least listening to this show didn't adhere to those words, what you can expect to do for your New Year's parties. Now, you said it's okay to be with friends and family if you're vaccinated and boosted, but what is your advice to people about larger settings for New Year's parties? Uh, Caitlin, I would stay away from that. I mean, I, I have been if telling I'm invited, people it's consistently okay. that if you're vaccinated and boosted and you have a family setting in the home with family and relatives, but when you're talking about a New Year's Eve party, we have 30, 40, 50 people celebrating. You do not know the status of their vaccination. I would recommend strongly stay away from that this year. There will be other years to do that, but not this year. You know, they said the same fucking thing last year. Well, at least he yep. said it's not going to be forever. There's other years for that. <laughs> and other diseases that they're planning. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's almost... It's rhetorical now and sad to say that we have to hear stuff like this every week and, and then, you know, cover COVID so much. But to think that you can do anything regarding the news, whether it be cover America First candidates or or talk about how they're continuing to weaponize the overwhelming of hospitals and, you know, spreading of this stuff in 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 Republican states and cities by bringing in millions of people like you know, you would think you're exaggerating when you said like the border crisis could fuel the COVID outbreaks in, in the country. And maybe during the last two years of the Trump administration, you'd be right where we would have months where there wouldn't even be 10,000 people crossing the border illegally. But when you've had over 2 million people already cross the border this year and they're being sent to every Republican stronghold in the country. Mm-hmm. These are the people that are helping overwhelm the entire system. They're being able to go through buses, airports, airplanes trains they're going on ships all over the country and then they're going into hospitals where people who might not be there for covid are getting infected with it and they're spreading it everywhere and that's just a small component of the overallness of it i do think that like a lot of the places that are still super masked up social distance and locked away also contribute to that because you'll never get to herd immunity if you can't you know continue to spread the spread especially with these weaker variants um and I, and I really do think the Byron administration is starting to feel the heat from these numbers that you just can't lie on a lot of things like and places as like Florida, you know, where, where, where the numbers are down so low, even when they try to bump them up with like, let's say illegals and stuff like that. They just can't seem to get it over to the threshold that's reportable as negative. Uh, Joe Biden did hold a press conference yesterday before departing on Marine One for Delaware up through the new year. And it was kind of a weird one. You know, first of all, he talked about using the National Guard to replace all the people that he's fired from hospitals to help stop the spread of COVID, which is running rampant in places where they're sending illegals. Let's hear that. On hospitalizations, let me start with this. Because we have had so many vaccinated and boosted, we're not seeing hospitalizations rise as sharply as we did in March of 2020, even this past fall. You misspelled wanted. Americans, <laughs> America had, had made progress. Things are better. But we do know that with the rising cases, we still have tens of millions of unvaccinated people, and we're seeing hospitalizations rise. It means our hospitals in some places are going to get overrun. 
but in terms of equipment, with both people in terms with the of equipment and staff. That's why we stockpiled and pre-positioned millions of gowns, gloves, masks, and ventilators. All bought from China. We're mobilizing an additional 1,000 military doctors and nurses and, Thanks, Jared and medics to help staff hospitals. FEMA is deploying hundreds of ambulances and EMS crews to transport patients. How many ambulances? We've already deployed emergency response teams in Colorado, Michigan, Minnesota, Vermont, New Hampshire, and New Mexico. And you hear all those non-Republican states? More mm. hospital beds as well. The bottom line is we want to assure the American people that we're prepared. We know what it takes. And as, uh, as this group of bipartisan governors has shown, we're going to get through it by working together. Sure aren't. And, you know, that's only the start of it. I think the best part was on this conference call he did from the fake White House in, in the fake Oval Office of the TV studio that he operates in uh, got to the last point. And I, I think this one gives a little bit of hope for some of the things, maybe the federal vaccine mandates neighborly when, when, you know, talked about the solution from the man who not only was going to cure cancer, but end COVID. Thank you, President Biden. He said, thank you very much. Ace. Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. I'm looking at Governor Sununu on the board here. Sununu? He talks about that a lot. And it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road, and that's where the patient is in need of help or preventing the need for uh, help. Patients, so, in, need, patients now, in need of Kleenex. The man who is going to end COVID says there is no federal solution for COVID-19. So why are there so many federal things going on? Hmm. Antoinette, what do you think? There's, I, don't, I don't even know what to think anymore. <laughs> uh, every time you hear this shit, you're just like, you think like, about it okay. and you're like, this makes absolutely no sense. And yet there's somebody, you know, the, the meme of the weird little white bearded face guy just going, yes, this is exactly what we need. Exactly. I know. It's, I don't even know how anybody believes any of this anymore at this point. I just, it's kind of mind blowing. Well, because if you stop believing it, then you are not who you are anymore because this is people's identity is this. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It, it really has become like a religion. Mm -hmm. People can't let it go. They don't want to. Oh, it seems like, you know, in some contexts, maybe the federal government is going to start to distance himself from this and, and kind of... I hope they distance themselves out of firing people. Be a great and excellent point. Right. Um, and, Merry, Merry Christmas. You know, and as we get away from this, because we're all sick of uh, talking about it, and, and round third heading home, amazing episode today. We're going to have Bianca Gracia coming on soon. Uh, the, the last segment we have here is Kamala Harris did a little bit of the... Uh, legacy news cycle over the weekend and a sit down interview to hopefully kind of clean up her image. Like we reported today, there was a pullout that said she's hovering around 12% favorability in her own party, even less with independence. Oof. Um, pretty interesting. She focused the blame right back to the only person that they could pin it on to get any kind of traction with the news narrative period. Donald Trump, when asked about Afghanistan, believe it or not. God. You said you were last in the room on the decision in Afghanistan to pull out. Mm -hmm. You've talked about not abandoning allies. Mm -hmm. Do you feel personal responsibility for the chaos? They're like 40 feet away withdrawal? from each other. I fully supported the president's decision to, after what was taking on the, the fact of being in an endless war, of pulling American troops out. And I think it's really important to remember that the previous administration negotiated a deal with the Taliban, with did not duel. invite the Afghan government to be at the table and negotiated a deal that 
that required and, and promised as part of an agreement that we would pull out by the end of May. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we were saddled with that responsibility based on an agreement between the United States and the Taliban. Well, and you so agreed to the extend it. The Afghan government wasn't a real thing. We made the decision. Did you agree to pull out in a way we that break ruined the everything? Agreement, it would have been a whole other situation. And right now, I strongly believe that had we broken that agreement, we would be talking about the war in Afghanistan mm -hmm. and American troops in Afghanistan. And but, we're not talking about that. No, 100% false and lying. Yeah. So, okay. Regardless of whether or not there was an agreement, you could still pull out in a way that isn't like detrimental. Yeah, I mean, Joe Ken pointed out it was from top to bottom the biggest military failure yeah. of modern history. Period. I mean, you couldn't have been more wrong about everything. Everything that was predicted from the current fake government that they had installed in Kabul, taking everything from the floor tiles to the drapes and driving them across the border <laughs> to claim asylums, including pallets full of cash, and then leaving all of the military equipment and our allies who fought alongside of us in this crappy-ass war to fucking die in that country and are still there now. Don't forget the, the airstrike that killed innocent people, too. Yeah, the, 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 the guy that was putting groceries in his car. Half a dozen kids that got vaporized yeah. just to make it look like we were answering the call for something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for, for the attack on the air base, right, which turned out to be not the Taliban. Oops. Yeah. I, I just think it's, it's hilarious and, and one of those things where it's like we've been mentioning throughout the show, the people who only go and watch the legacy media will take this as the gospel mm -hmm. and there's so much more behind it. You really have to start. We've used it clichéingly over the course of this entire show, peeling those layers on the onion back and getting to the root causes of not white rage, yeah. but the root of the actual problem. Saw that one coming. And, and, and well, another one you didn't see coming was the next thing that they're going to try and push through the house and into the Senate. It's that voting bill. And remember anyone who is against this bill, for voter rights, which basically pack elections and make it so no real conservatives could ever win ever again. Wait, is it racism? This is this will be the fall of our democracy. Oh. Probably racist, too. People around the world watch what we do as America. And right now, we're about to take ourselves off the map Ooh. as a role model. If we let... If we let... <laughs> People destroy one of the most important pillars of a democracy, which is free and fair elections. You're talking about what's happening in state capitals around the country. I am. I'm talking about that. What's happening? And I'm talking about what's not happening in this capital not in Washington, D.C., which is the passing of the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act nope. and the Freedom to Vote Act. No. Nope. This is literally about our standing in the world. It's about the integrity of our democracy. When our kids look back five, ten years from now, at this moment... They're going to hate you. It will be on yeah. our watch that we either stood for and fought for... What kind of watch is our, it? ...our democracy or Rolex. not. And that, I think that is all at stake right now. But you still have the reality of a 50-50 Senate. Correct. And you have two senators who say they're not on board for changing the filibuster... Nope. ...in order to try to push this through. So how do you overcome that democratic reality of not having the votes and not having a clear path forward? We will do and look at whatever yeah. is necessary to push for cheat or Congress to take this issue on. And we have to. We have to.
carve out to the filibuster? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that we are going to urge the United States Congress, and we have been, to examine the tools they have available to do what is necessary to fight for and retain the integrity of our voting system in America. It sounds like you're open, though, to a carve-out to the filibuster to get there. She's always open. You were when you ran for president (laughs) on the issue of climate. Are voting rights as important? I am waiting for somebody to tell me what to say. I believe that voting rights is one of the most significant issues that is facing us as individuals and as we She doesn't know the answer to the question. question. No question. Voting rights lead to every other right. Mm -hmm. Every other right. And so we need to prioritize it as a nation. I think it's really important that in this conversation about what's happening in Washington, D.C. on the issue of voting, that we not lose sight of the fact that there is one whole group of people, half of the United States Senate, that thinks the election was stolen, who are refusing to even debate this issue. Because everybody has been completely advised to the one millionth degree on where this goes. And everybody knows This just seems like normalcy when you look at the statistics coming off of what they did in the 2020 presidential election. And with COVID, which are the two biggest things that you have to really know are still negatively affecting this country right now and stemming out to, you know, continue to wreck all of the other things that they're trying to get in there, whether it be the economy, whether it be inflation, whether it be the borders and, and, and the crisis that we have down there, national defense, critical race theory. All these things stem from the narrative that was able to be bred from this whole COVID narrative. And, and it seems to be never ending, although, you know, we've played some clips here. It doesn't seem like they have any answers in the executive office and then they don't have any votes Uh, to get this shit passed when you look at, you know, unless you're going to send more kayakers to Joe Manchin's houseboat or Antifa (laughs) people to sit on the hood of his Maserati while at the same time banging on the bathroom stall of Arizona State's University employee bathroom while Kristen Sinema is trying to take a shit and saying that she needs to vote for this (laughs) stuff. Like, that's the if that's it, you know, she wouldn't... Yeah, she wouldn't touch it because they've already publicly gone and said, I'm a no. So if she starts to demonize them even more, it's going to send those people out and they're going to be even more of a no. And they're going to probably wind up pulling some more people with them. Totally agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, look at the optics right now. They're starting to fail on a lot more fronts than the ones that have been so far outside. Like, you know. For as awful as the border is, it's not the same as the COVID narrative. For as awful as, like, the Afghanistan thing is, it's not as bad as stealing the 2020 presidential election. You kind of have to layer and prioritize these things. Critical race theory, whether it's being implemented in the military or taught to kids at school, it's bad, but it's not as bad as, like, the kids' distance and remote learning and becoming, like, literally more retarded over the course of the last year and a half. So you kind of have to pick and choose your battles and then know – when they start to catch L's in some aspects, it's going to bleed over to the other ones where they have, I think, less of a grip on some of the things. Um, you know who's trying to get a grip on everything, though? In our last clip of the day, Killery. Mm. Again, fourth week in a row, doing interviews, previously did the master class. She's talking about sticking up for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris right now as she tries to snuggle up to the administration in an attempt to make herself the hottest pick in the party. So let's hear what the fatter, older body double of the original Hillary Clinton had to say this weekend when she was talking about that and Facebook. If you look at the top 10 Facebook feeds, 9 out of 10, sometimes 10 out of 10, are all right-wing propaganda. And they're saying terrible things about Joe Biden, terrible things about Kamala Harris. They're still saying terrible things about me because they can't rid themselves of their obsession with me. But they're making up stuff. 
all the time. No, let me ask you a question. Yeah, my obsessed with Hillary Clinton. Yes, now no. six years removed from from her campaign. Do you miss her? Negative. Do you want her? No. Are you scared to say anything negative about her because she might send assassins to your house? Well, me personally, no. Okay, me either. Antoinette? No. I, I know mean, you're pretty armed to the teeth as well. Oh, yeah. I mean. It, it's pretty well. interesting. To, well, first of all, that whole Facebook narrative, 100% complete lie. We could all agree on that, I, right? Because yeah, everybody I know that's a conservative has either been banned or is still like, banned for even for saying nothing. Yeah, the only Facebook. real conservative who comes up in my Facebook stream ever is Dan Scavino now. That's it. Really? Yeah. He's, he's, I, 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 and maybe occasionally Larry Elder. But besides that, I don't see any of the, you know, Even the Trump if, kids, none of the other concerns, like definitely none of the shows or, or anything ever. I love how she thinks that like people actually still think about her because she, even the people that I knew that, that were obsessed with her, that voted for her, can't stand her now. It's like or don't that, want don't even talk about her. She's she like irrelevant. She's more relevant than she ever was. The meme of Wolverine like drawing a heart on her face while he's in bed. You think that <laughs> that's what she really thinks people you know, just because they can't take my name out of their mouth and get over me. I love it. It just makes no sense. And and it's oh, no. you know, it's it's one of those things where moving forward we're gonna have to keep an eye on it and her because you know, she's just as dangerous as she comes, whether or not it's the body double or or not, she's Representing, well, she's representing the original Hillary Clinton, and she's out there with her army of monsters and her endless money. So you know, well, it's, obviously they're up to something, and she's oh, well, she is, and her camp are up to something. So yeah, definitely keep an eye on it. But I think it's hilarious because we could see it from a mile away. You know. Yeah, you know, after that interview that we played portions of of Kamal Harris, do you know that as soon as that interview ended, over the same uh, couple days, she met privately with Hillary Clinton and, and talked about reshaping her image. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she's got it. That was nice of her. Yeah. If she hadn't completely sold her soul to Satan, it's one of those things now where you can almost guarantee that's the first she's, it's like that whole contract part in the little mermaid where she's like, <laughs> sign your life away. Exactly. So, I mean, it, and, and nobody looks more like Ursula than Hillary Clinton in real life. So I definitely oh, think moving gosh. forward. Oh, yeah, pretty good. That's yeah. But that's kind of it for the news this week. And as we're getting ready to bring in our, our last America First candidate, you know, moving forward, we're going to be trying to get, bring you the best of the news narrative in importance levels as we think and whether or not the content directly reflects that in the news portion or we get it out of the people that we bring on as guests. We're going to make sure you continue to stay in the need to know. And moving forward, we'll, we'll continue to develop and change that as the news cycle, you know, dictates. All right, coming in last today on this America First Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast. She's running in Texas 11. She is a uh, America First candidate. Faith, family, freedom, and Texas, of course. Bianca, Gracia, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, guys. Uh, this is an honor, and I'm blessed uh, to be here with you guys today. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time during this holiday season and during your campaign to uh, come down and let our listening audience get ready to know you. I'm going to start off by asking, how, how was your holiday season? Did you have a nice Christmas and stuff like that? So my, my holiday season this year has been upside down because I decided to throw my name in on the ballot. So I <laughs> literally put up my Christmas tree on New Year's Eve and put ornaments on it. Uh, my, my husband walked in, he's law enforcement. He walks in, he goes, oh, hell no. And I was like, I gotta have something. Like I, I was like, let me have my moment. Christmas is my thing. Like I normally have eight trees in my house, eight. I kid you not, everybody has a tree. And well, I, there's only four of us, but everybody has a tree. The dog has a tree. I have multiple trees for myself. 
So um, this was a very unique Christmas because I got managed to get only two trees up and we were done. Well, so it's, it's probably better than most. I, I did notice this was probably one of the least decorative years, at least out here in San Diego where we are uh, in, in recent memory. So, you know, having more than one tree is probably a step better than uh, a lot of the people out there. How's the campaign been treating you so far since you decided to jump in? You know, um, I was I am pretty taken back by the amount of support that I'm receiving and all the positivity um, you know, there's always those haters and the bashers or something. I was just expecting all these like people to come and say, maybe they, there still are, but so far it's been very positive. Um, the community has really come out in a very, very strong way. Um, you know, before, before my politic activism, I was a community organizer. So people in my community know me, know me from soccer mom, soccer coach, soccer board member, football league, baseball league, team mom, um, PTO president, PTO vice president, director, PTO 10 years. And I'm in the homeschooling community now. Oh, wow, that's um, great. In junior high, I took my kids out of, of public school. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the people know me in the community based on all my activism and organizing. And every time I got involved in anything, they were like, oh, choose Bianca. She'll, she organizes, she gets things done. And I'm like, why is everything always fall on me? But they knew I would get the job done. So that's how I, I'm known. So all of those people in my business, you know, people that own businesses in my community, you know, um, I've worked for some of them, um, whether it's done their bookkeeping on the side. I mean, you'd be surprised as a stay-at-home mom. I've always found things to do. And so, um, you know, a lot of these people know me and um, they've been coming out and they're like, we want your signs at our business. We want this. We want that. We want to help you tell us what to do. So it's been really, really um, it's, it's exciting because it's, you know, nobody wants to put their name on a ballot and then be like, no one like even bothers to like, like, Hey, how are you? Or something? No, it's, it's an excitement. Um, and I think it's because people have seen what I've been doing for the past five years and they have followed me. And even though they're, they're quiet, they really are paying attention to what I'm doing. And now watch me, you know, put my name on a ballot. I think it's a different excitement for our community and our district is to know that they have a real champion and a fighter who's been at the front lines of the past five years to now want to represent them in this district. And so, um, you know, I tell people, look, I'm running for district 11, but at the end of the day, I'm representing all of Texas yep. and I've toured Texas. I've toured three times as Latinos for Trump president. We did RV tours to get people out of their houses doing COVID to get them activated and mobilized and organized again. Um, and then, you know, um, and before that I was a Hispanic engagement director for the Republican party of Texas after Trump won. Nice. So during that time I toured the state of Texas and went, Again, you know, I came up with a listening tour after Trump won. There was no manual given to me at the Republican Party said, hey, this is how you do a Hispanic engagement. I literally had to go create my movement. And I basically just expanded the MAGA movement and went and started doing listening tours. And we called them DMAG, come tell me, you know, and the Republican Party's like, how did you get all these people here? I'm like, I asked them. I mean, like. Hmm. I don't know. How do you get them here? I mean, you ask them, you invite them, you know, and, and you, you, you have things that actually uh, resonate with a community. So I, I had like little, you know, tacos and they, you know, I had the guy in the skillet cooking tacos and uh, nice. you know, and then doing uh, horchatas and, you know, things that talk to our community. We like to fellowship. So 
those were things that I've been doing and I've toured the state of Texas. I know the hearts and, and the minds of people out there. I know that, that there's people out there really hurting. Um, I know there's people out there that never, you know, don't have a voice. And so I've, I've gotten to really know Texas and it's dear to me. And I love this state. I love our state and I will do anything to help save our state. So this is why I'm stepping in the ring now. Yeah. I think Texas is one of the biggest states that have been kind of a, a center point for a lot of the things that have been going wrong in this country. I think you're talking about that America first agenda and platform that you're running on. One of the things I'm going to have to ask you, you know, doing my research this weekend, ran for the show over the weekend, I did see that Texas 11 is a pretty huge district uh, in Texas. Not only that West of Austin, West of Dallas, uh, definitely uh, up there on the Mexican border, the border crisis. We have the bodies coming across the human trafficking, the stuff with the children, the drug trade, all things that directly affect Texas. So, awfully over the part of the, you know, the greater majority of the last 11 months. Talk about how much that, that is a huge issue to you, not only in your district and the state of Texas, but nationally when you take that platform to the House of Representatives. So the border is very, um, that's that's been one of my targets from the beginning. When I first started working for the Hispanic, uh, for the Republican Party of Texas, I um, did my engagement in the border towns. Um, I was told by the Republican Party not to go down there. I wasn't supposed to go anywhere south of, of San Antonio because it was Democrat, it was blue, and they wouldn't spend any money on it. Mm. So my question to them was, well, who am I supposed to talk to? That's where the Hispanics live. Like, who, who do you want me to talk to then? I mean, the majority of Hispanics are there. Isn't this Hispanic engagement? Aren't I supposed to be sharing the conservative message with these Hispanics? So I defied them. Hello, uh, big America first. Uh, hello, we defy everything. We resist, don't we? Yep. So, um, so I defied, um, but with with good. In, you know, now you're seeing the aftermath of all of my hard work from the very beginning and all of the seeds I planted. And I started with a faith based community first. So um, all of my work was at the border. I worked with the Border Patrol agents. Our organization, Latino Trump organization, Latinos for America First, Americanos, I have several organizations and we worked uh, diligently with the Border Patrol agents. Our organization was the only one feeding Border Patrol agents uh, back in 2018, 2019, 2019, I believe. Yeah, we started in 2019 at uh, their 100th uh, uh, anniversary. Um, we started feeding Border Patrol agents and we, we fed them all the way from Brownsville all the way to El Paso. Wow. Um, actually, all the way into New Mexico, because when we went into El Paso, their region goes into New Mexico. So we actually drove uh, meals out and uh, delivered the meals uh, to those stations out in New Mexico, five hours into New Mexico. So nice. so we have literally fed thousands and thousands of Border Patrol agents, um, thanking them for their hard work, um, letting them know that there were people here that stood behind them in their work, that we that we were their voice when they were, you know, in 2021 this year, you know, they've been silenced. They couldn't talk to the media. They couldn't tell you what was really going on. So we were their voice. We have had people out there covering the border. Our My state director is out there. Border Network News, Anthony Aguero is out there all the time, you know, uh, you know, pretty much covering what's going on at the border. So we can actually take that and pass on the message, as well as working with our Border Patrol agents and getting the data that they're not able to share, but trying to get the data from them and working with our sheriffs. Our sheriffs all along the border as well. We've been working with a lot of them as well, uh, you know, and just trying to get the message out for them, you know, advocating for them, advocating in the Texas legislature for them, you know, um, to close down the border, to instill. We've been we've been put we applied a lot of pressure on Abbott, which 
He didn't do, nope. he wouldn't do it and he wasn't going to do it, but he wasn't going to use the Texas constitution. There's an article one that says when we're being invaded at the border, he has all the control to shut the border down and to do something about that invasion. And he's refused to do it. And so this is why, and that's one of the other reasons why I'm strongly have put my name on the ballot because I'm tired of our politicians, you know, talking out of what their mouth and doing the opposite on the other end and this optic game, you know, oh, I'm putting containers at the border, but yet we've got all this drug smuggling and we've got bodies being burnt, um, being hung by tree limbs. So I don't know if you guys saw that Laura, Laura Logan, you know, put that on her Twitter yep. and that's not the only body that's been found. It's been other bodies that have been found as well, but they're not being, you know, obviously put in the forefront. So we've got a lot of issues and Abbott is a liar and he says one thing and now he's saying, oh, I'm building a wall. Well, you know, he's building it in an area where we don't really have a lot of breach going on. And what he's done is just taken the equipment that was already left there. I've covered this border. We've gone down to the border several times where we have taken people to the border and we've gone to some of these, uh, uh, you know, points where that have been left open. And we've pretty much shown people how as soon as Trump left office, you know, all this equipment was left there. It was just they, they had to abandon everything, all the equipment, the wall, the pieces of the wall that they were working on. Everything was abandoned. They couldn't touch it. They, they, everything was halted. And so <clears throat> Abbott's just literally taking a piece of that. And he's just like taking those pieces and just putting them together like, oh, I'm building a wall. And I'm like, meantime, in all of the areas that are being breached, there's no wall. There's no that we have National Guard now that are assisting cartels, bringing over the illegals. Literally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like, what in the heck is going on? You know, when you got our own National Guard. Uh, assisting cartels and not because they want to, but because that's their order. Their order is make sure these people get safely across, you know, and that you turn them over to border patrol, you know, and I'm like, I mean, what in the world has this country come to in our state of Texas? We've got some bad leaders in, in office and we've got to get them out of office and start doing what we need to do because you know, I'm like, I said it from the very beginning. And I know when I first went on this Steve Bannon show and I told him we're being invaded, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, come, you know, hold on. We're, that's a very strong word. And I said, I'm telling you, we are being invaded at the border. Okay. And so um, after due time, and as I kept giving the numbers out of the people coming out, you know, and um, uh, coming through the border, he was like, holy crap, you're right. And I'm like, I'm telling you, we're being invaded at the border and you guys are not being told. So the, the, the border is very dear to me. And look, what happens at the border is not just a border problem. It's not just McAllen, Edinburgh, Brownsville, Del Rio, Garizo Springs, uh, you know, Eagle Pass. It's not just their problem. It is a national problem because if you saw a report just recently come out now, they're making it sound like this is a brand new thing. No, it's not. But this has been happening since February of this year. You have uh, illegals that are being flown, okay? And it's all being paid for by our tax dollars. They're being flown to wherever they need to go and they're being given a $1,500 to $1,800 check per illegal, okay? All of their expenses are getting paid and being flown to a city near you. So if you think this is a Texas problem, a border problem, it is not. It hurts everybody across the nation. And it hurts my district because these illegals, yesterday I was driving back from Stephen Williford's ranch. Um, he endorsed me yesterday, the nice. barefoot defender. And so let me tell you, when I was coming back, we stopped at Bucky's. And my husband, who's in law enforcement, said, Did you see all those, you know, <laughs> Afghanistan people? And I'm yep. like, wait, what? And there were, I was like, I didn't, you know, I just 
thought there was a whole group of them. They were all wearing these Bucky's red t-shirts. They were like literally giving Bucky's t-shirts and they were in buses. And so these are illegals that are being transported to a city near you. Yes. So it affects everybody, guys. It's not just a border problem. It is not just a Texas problem. This is a national problem. We now have a domestic terrorist problem. Yep. Yeah, you talk about, you, you paint a really bleak picture. And Wait, they were like, giving them t-shirts, so now they're using them for advertising, too. Oh, there you go. Good. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. You do paint a, a really bleak picture, and one that was way better handled just a year ago. Um, and it's interesting, you brought up Anthony. I, I talk to him online frequently. He's a great guy. Jorge Ventura is kind of like our show's on-the-spot border correspondent. He's been on with us three times and, and has painted the same picture as well. And, and how this is, you know, you mentioned it's like a national problem. Some of the stuff we saw last time we had Jorge Ventura on from the Daily Caller was how this uh, drug trade, human smuggling trade, losing children in the wind trade has all extended all the way up to Northern California now. Now they're running poppy and weed grow fields. Now you have people just, you know, getting admitted and, and getting busted into all these cities and helping run and fuel the human trafficking trade and the drug trade. And a lot of people don't pay enough attention. That's why I'm glad we had, I, I would consider you probably an expert after all the years of your experience working directly with it now. And and then thank you for all your support that you've done down on the border. It seems like you've done a great job supporting not just federal, but a lot of people don't understand, especially in Texas, like Texas local law enforcement is involved with the anti-human smuggling and anti-legal immigration and uh, anti-sex trade just as much as federal are because these high-speed chases and stuff like that leak all into these major cities on these border towns. And a lot of these local agencies are losing a lot of equipment chasing these people, getting into accidents and shootouts and crashes with these people. They don't have the resources, guys. That's a problem. Our little small communities don't have the resources to gel these people. They don't have the resources. When you've got six deputies on your staff because you're in a small community, I mean, there's only so much you can do. So you're right. The bailouts. I mean, you know, I have I grew up in South Texas and I have a lot of family that calls me. I have a lot of friends that I went to college with, friends that call me that live down there. And they said, you know, Bianca, our property is, I mean, they're trampling through our property and we're being told by law enforcement, we can't do anything. We cannot defend ourselves. We have to just let them go through here. And I'm like, where have we come in our country where you're now telling our landowners and our, you know, residents that they cannot defend themselves because they don't want a national crisis, you know, at at hand, you know, because think about it. If one of these landowners takes a gun, and they defend themselves and shoot somebody on their property. Guess what? It's going to be national news and it's going to be like, oh, you you killed an illegal, poor illegal that was just coming here just to, you know, seek work. Well, these illegals are not all good. I mean, and we know that now. We know that. And, and if you've talked to these Jorge Ventura and you've talked to Anthony, you are aware that a lot of these illegals are men. And they're all, they look young, but they're not young. And they all got little kids and there's no mother in sight. Yep. No woman in sight. So there is a huge organization uh, or, you know, organized syndicate of crime going on and they're using our people, um, you know, from all over everywhere, not just in South America, Central America and Mexico. They're using them from all over the world. And um, and this is what the cartels and the, you know, communist parties all over the, the, the world are doing. And they have exploited you know, innocent people and they're using them and they're buying these children and they're telling, you know, parents who are very, very poor and have 10 kids, they're saying, give us, give up one of your kids or whatever, because they're going to go for a better life. These parents don't know any better. And, but really, they're really stuck in a corner. Yeah. If you don't give up your kid, you could be killed. Yeah, 100%. 
And, and, and it's something that, you know, definitely doesn't get enough spotlight and attention. And when some of these more grassroots like Anthony and like Jorge kind of pointed out there, it just, for some reason, it just doesn't seem to get as much traction because, you know, we'll, we'll jump into something just as quick as like the guy saying, let's go Brandon on the, the Joe Biden phone call the other day, or, you know, some other talking point where they want to compare anything to get your eyes away from really bad stuff going on at the border like that. And then say like, Oh, here, look at this file footage of January 6th. Wasn't it so bad? Look at all these people fighting outside the Capitol. Forget about that stuff. Like that's a, it's seasonal, you know, anti or uh, seasonal. That's my favorite part. Illegal immigration is seasonal, human trafficking, child trafficking. That's all seasonal. It happens. It comes in ebbs and flows like January 6th. That's the worst thing that ever happened in the history of our country. Um, all right, Mike, why don't you uh, jump in here and, and get at Bianca a little bit and let's get some. Uh... Of course. No, I'm just Bianca. I'm just curious. Uh, so you're running this campaign in Texas. I mean, super red, obviously, in a red district from what I understand. Talk a little bit about, I mean, these primaries are like the big thing right now and redistricting has gone on and now there's primaries. Um, so talk a little about your, your primary opponents. And obviously you talk about all these things and you're very passionate and involved, but, you know, people have to, you know, uh, organize against these county establishments and the machine, if you will. So for the people out there who are, are kind of getting more keen to this is the redistricting narrative is kind of taking national headlines. Talk a little bit about how the local stuff's working and how you feel about getting the Republican support locally. And if people are challenging in the local community, the incumbent and how all that's working for you as your campaigns organized. So, yeah, let me give you a little history. So I've been um, pretty much leading Latino for Trump organization. I pretty much built the Latino Trump organization. Uh, the It's not the campaign. It's the an actual organization. And I have a pack that um, I had to step down from, obviously, for running for office now. But Latinos, it used to be Latinos for the president. Now it's Latinos for America first. Right. Um, we've been supporting America first candidates from the very beginning. So I've now pivoted into my own senatorial you know, race here in the state of Texas in District 11. District 11 is very unique. Um, we are, it's very grassroots in district 11. Let me tell you what has happened. Um, they bullied my Senator out of office, uh, the Dan Patrick and the, um, one of my opponents, and I'm not going to give them any credit or mention to their names. You guys can just pretty much research and figure out who each and every one of them are. So the, he is a, he is a, um, house member right now in the state of Texas in oil and gas. And he, um, has all this money and they went to my Senator and said, Hey, He's going to run for your Senate seat and he's got $2 million. And my Senator said, well, I can't raise $2 million. So they said, well, he's going to run and we're going to back him up. And so you're going to step aside and endorse him. Well, my Senator stepped aside, but is not going to endorse anybody. So I'm literally running against the establishment and Lieutenant Dan Patrick has done a very fantastic job of the establishment. And I'm really mad at Trump because Trump shouldn't have been endorsing these people. He thinks they're on his side and they're not on his side. And so, um, you know, he, Trump is not in the White House because of all these pundits, okay? Yep. All these Republicans and Democrats all put Trump outside of the White House and then he's rewarding them with endorsements. I just don't get that. And I don't know who's telling them, but obviously somebody needs to tell them to stop. Um, and so um, anyhow, Dan Patrick is running around telling all of the um, unions, um, <coughs> PACs, and everybody, and he's muscling and telling them this, this is the guy you have to endorse, which is one of my opponents. So one of that's one of my opponents. The other opponent is literally the RNC, mm -hmm. literally. He's our committee man. And, and listen, these guys, I'm not going to talk bad about them. I'm not going to say that they're bad conservatives because they're they're good conservative guys. They, they really are. But they're not me. I'm grassroots. They're not grassroots. 
They've not done the work that I've done. You know, I wasn't born with a silver gold spoon in my mouth and have all these privileges of all these things. I've had to work for what I have. And so, you know, um, they're, they're, so they're not, they're, they're good guys. I'm not going to say bad, bad things about them. But when I tell you I'm literally running against the establishment and the RNC, I'm literally running against the establishment and RNC. I mean, I can't, it can't get any better than that. Um, I think my district didn't know I was going to run. I didn't even know I was going to run. I, I ran because you know, I really, I'm a prayer warrior. I'm a, I'm a faithful, I'm a Christian, you know, conservative Christian first is what I should say. Uh, you know, I run with the evangelicals and have been for a very long time. I've been baptized twice. I have a real strong relationship with the Lord and I really had to pray about it. I prayed about this and prayed about it and said, do you want me on a ballot? God, you know, you tell me what to do and I will do it. And this is where he put me, this is where he put me. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to run my race. And this is what I'm going to do. And this victory is mine because the Lord says it's mine. So a lot of the people in my district did not know I was going to run. And I literally, when I went in and announced, I literally sucked the air out of the room. I've talked three times already in my district to go and announce that I was running and uh, literally sucked the air out because people in my district can't deny the work I've done. I have a track record. Okay. And I stick to what I believe in. I do not cower down. I cannot be bought out. You cannot corrupt me. They've tried to corrupt me. They've tried to corrupt me. The Republican party tried to corrupt me when I wouldn't, they wanted me to, you know, for chairman race, you know, I literally was asked, I was summoned within my district and they knew that I had influence. And they said, you know, what do you, what do you want? You want a book deal? You want to, you want to sit on the board of a, a Trump advisory board? You know, you want more money? What do you want? Wow. And I'm like, are you serious? Are you seriously asking me these questions? They're like, well, you've got to be doing what you do for a reason. I mean, what is it? You know, you need more money. What is it? And I'm like, America, I've been, I've been doing my activism because I really care about my freaking community. I care about my Hispanic community. I legitimately care about my communities uh, because I care about Texas, because I care about America. You're exactly right. So no, I don't want a book deal. I don't want to, I don't want to buy off and be on a stupid campaign you know, advisory board. I don't want, you know, uh, uh, more money. Sorry. I have, I don't make money doing what I do. I make zero money. So I don't want any of that. Um, and so that was my, my answer. And when they figured they could not buy me is when they got rid of me. So, um, but that was okay. Cause that's when I went to go, you know, build up Latinos for Trump and start doing my own activism. And yep. it became probably more, uh, powerful on the outside than I was on the inside. You know, the inside just pretty much held my hands behind my back. Um, but um, I learned, you know, how the system works. And so I was a precinct chair since 2016. I just resigned my post as a precinct chair, been running the elections. I know exactly how to run the elections. I know how to use the machines. I know how people can cheat because when you look at the machines and you look at the whole system set up, you pretty much know how the Sheila Jacksons of the world have been, you know, pretty much uh, election rigging their their wins yep. um, because yep. you, you, you can run these elections. So I've been a very big advocate of people, um, you know, to come and learn the system and get involved. And they should be participating as poll watchers, election workers or becoming committee, you know, chairman, precinct chairman uh, like me. Um, and people don't realize, I told pastors this, I, I influence a lot of pastors. And I told them, I said, you don't understand the power you could have of becoming a precinct chair. In the state of Texas, we have 254 counties in the state of Texas. <clears throat> and I've told the pastors before, if you could get me one pastor to fill in a position in every single precinct, we're able to write resolutions, guys. 
These resolutions can be written and we have a power. So if we want to say that we want to abolish, you know, abortion for real, I need a pastor in every 254 counties. You need to write a resolution and every single resolution has to be put into that CEC meeting and you have to push it forward. And when we have state convention, we have to be heard as a community. Yes, That is what I've been preaching from the very beginning since, I mean, I have trainings that I've done on this. So um, that's been very early on in my activism is the, the local participation and the involvement of our people, you know, getting involved. But, you know, we have a system in place. The Republican Party has is full of people that do not want to give away their um, power and they don't want to get, you know, they don't want to give away their um, their, you know, uh, money. And so our district, my District 11, is very much a, a grassroots. We're, we're kind of the stepchild of the state of Texas is what we've known, we've been known for. We have a lot of great, great patriots at the forefront that have been fighting for America, Texas, that have been trying to hold uh, uh, you know elected officials accountable for years. OK, for years, some of them have been trying to hold you know, people accountable for 30 years. We have some great, great grassroots people that live in my district. And um, I was mentored by them and trained by them. You know, I went to them when I didn't understand what in the world things were. And these people are great, great people. And I think that, you know, some of them are torn. They're like, oh, my God, we didn't know you were running. Like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Because, you know, they, they went and recruited somebody else because they thought they didn't want the other person. So they recruited somebody else. And here I am. Hello, popped out of nowhere. And they're like, <laughs> crap. And so, and I've told them and I said, look, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I mean, you're not, you've trained me. I know, I know how all of y'all think. I know how you run your games. I know, I know, you know, I know, I know how you, how you operate. And so uh, I can overcome that. I can overcome that. I've been trained by y'all. I know how, how the system works so I can overcome it. And, uh, and I know the numbers that I need Um, in my district, typically, Anywhere from 60 to 65, anywhere between an average between 60 to 65,000 people show up to vote in a primary. That's how many people show up in a primary, um, in, in, in a primary. So about over 200,000 show up in a general election to vote uh, in my district. So um, my job is not to, I'm running this like, like we're going to November. I, I, I'm running the primary, like, look, you guys are the ones that are going to have to catch up to me because I can run circles around all of y'all and, uh, and have been for years and, think, and they know it. I think that's the best point that you make. You've kind of outlined not only a lot of the problems and issues stemming from local state with the governor all the way up to, and, and we have to call out some of that problematical stuff with Donald Trump sometimes. You know, it's it's the endorsements that confuse people on occasion that, that a lot of people point out, and I'm glad that you did, because I definitely think it takes away from, you know, getting even a bigger wave of the America First candidates in there, in addition to all of the legwork that you've done locally and at a statewide level, groups that you've organized with, whether it be just Latinos, whether it be churches, whether it be law enforcement, whether it be federal and you've really made a name for yourself. And I think one of the things that I hope people take away from this, a lot of those Latinos who have been disenfranchised in Texas, like you said in the beginning of this interview, stay away from there. It's all blue. It's all Latinos. They only vote one way. But you've given these people that have been looking for a place to call home, home now, mm-hmm. uh, politically. And I, I think that that's one of the hugest components that a lot of these uh, candidates that are getting out there right now are really bringing to the table. It's bringing people that feel like they voice means nothing back to a place where they think it could be something again. Bianca, this was awesome getting to know you today. We'd for sure in the future love to have you come back on our show and give us an update in the spring, possibly 
on the primary in your campaign moving forward toward the midterm. We got a really interactive listening audience. A lot of people that listen in Texas, you're going to need door knockers. You're going to need campaign donations and stuff like that. Why don't you tell everybody across social media platforms where they could find you? So you can find me on BiancaForTexas.com. Um, and you can find me at Bianca for Texas on any of the social media platforms. There's a, a link, a link tree. So that if I ever get taken down from any social media, I can go back onto the link tree and just pop up another, I play whack-a-mole with these social media places. So, <laughs> so I just pop up another page, but you can find me on that. And I, you know, I really take pride. I build my own website. I build websites. That's another little side job that I, that I've done. I've done it for a lot of the, this is how I know a lot of the business people in my community. I've built their websites and, and maintained them. So I built my website, took a lot of pride in that. I built it in less in a week. I didn't pay any, you know, gurus or go get all these consultants. I'm not going to believe in, I don't listen. I don't believe in the consultants because I know, and I've won races. I've ran campaigns before. I know what it takes to win. And uh, that's exactly what I'm going to do. It's going to be a grassroots movement. It's a mom movement. I I keep telling the people in my district, the moms are going to win me this election. And so are my churches. So all of my pastors are coming together. That's what I'm going to need. I'm going to need block walkers. I'm going to need phone bankers. Um, you know, and definitely listen, the donations, um, I, I don't need the millions of dollars. I, I've already been told, sweetie, this so-and-so has $2 million. And I'm like, first of all, I wouldn't pay $2 million for a Senate seat. Okay. I would never pay that m- amount of money to be in any kind of political seat. First of all, that's the problem with our system is that people pay for these positions. You're not supposed to pay for these positions. They're, you're supposed to get elected because the people really believe you're going to go represent them, not because you bought the seat. So I'm fiscally conservative. I'm going to need less money and I'm going to make it look like I spent millions is what I'm going to do. And so that's that's my message. But I do need I'm going to need the funding because I am up against these establishment in the RNC. Yeah. You know, that's what yeah. I'm up against. And at the end of the day, you know, I want grassroots people. I don't want these million dollar donations. I um, I want people to send twenty five, you know, fifty, a hundred dollars because all of that adds up. If I get a thousand people to do a hundred bucks. I mean, think about it. That's already, I can, you know, I'm a Hispanic. Listen, <laughs> we grew up on, you know, beans and rice. Okay. So we, we know how to make a ground beef go a long way for the week. You know, my mom <laughs> taught me well. I mean, so we, that dollar for me, I make it go a very long way. And that's what I plan on doing in my campaign. You will see some very unconventional and untraditional things that I'm going to do in my campaign because my campaign is going to be about me and us and America first and Texas first. I've been championing all this for five years now, and it's time that I do it now for my own district and for the state of Texas. It's what I owe the state of Texas. And I want to be elected by my people, not because I bought your your vote, but because I earned it. And that's what I've been preaching, preaching to people from the very beginning about Trump. When people said, well, you want me to vote for Trump? No, I want you to think about the policies and how he's, you know, the messaging that he's done and what he's done for our community and how we put more money in our pockets. And he, he's trying to give us, you know, school choice. He's trying to really fight for us and what we believe in, in our communities. That's what I want people to do. I told people Trump didn't have to pay for our vote. He earned our vote. He was a luchador. That's what one thing that we understand as fighters in the Hispanic community. We're luchadores we are we are people who fought they've been fighting for this country for the 1700s our spanish monks came over here from you know to preach uh, christianity to the native americans and they built those missions in san antonio texas seven of them to be exact to fight and defend the faith so this is we've been in the fight from the very beginning from the battle of goliath san jacinto and the alamo we we fought for these for our for our rights and for our freedoms and we're not going to give up now and that's been my message to all of our community we're fighters you know the, the the picture here is bigger than trump Guys, 
It's bigger than Trump. And so it's not about Trump himself. It's, it's about the message. It's about what he stood for. It's about what he fought for in this country. We're fighting a communist Marxist agenda right now. And this is what we're fighting for. We're, we need to put America first and keep it first. And that's what we need to do now. And so that's what we need. That's why it's very important and crucial for the people to really listen to our message and vote in and vote against the establishment. Vote against these people who have put us in this place to begin with and vote for people who are going to go fight for you, really fight for you and stand up for our constitutional rights and stand up against these people who want to take down our country. That's what you need to be voting for. 100%. I don't know how people out in, in your part of Texas, especially District 11, can't get behind that message right there. Bianca Garcia, thank you for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Best of luck moving forward, and we can't wait to have you back. Thank you so much, guys. God bless and have a happy new year. Oh, we're going to come back a little rusty after the Christmas holiday, but no, it's not too bad. Pretty awesome America First Agenda show today. You received three awesome candidates that I suggest you all go take a look into. We had an amazing guest host. I think the content was rock solid as usual. Uh, Just like the places you could usually listen to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds of this week, obviously our guest host from Right Side Broadcasting Network, host of Red, White, and Truth, Mr. Mike Crispy. In addition to our guest today, Andrew McCarthy running in New York 10, Jake Evans running in Georgia 6, and Bianca Gracia running in Texas 11. Awesome getting to know them and and hopefully getting them out to you guys so you can go and support them in their campaigns moving forward. In addition to that, some of the usuals, Cagbro88, Babe Does the News and all of her accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, Christina Bob of OAN, and Tom Pappert, Editor-in-Chief of the National File. Guys, our show partners are small American businesses. Your job is to help make them great again. My pillow. You love Mike Lindell. You love a great night's sleep. You'll also like saving up to 66% off everything at the MyPillow store. Some of the savings are even greater than that. They have over 600 items. If you didn't get your sleep gear taken care of at Christmas, head over MyPillow.com forward slash steak. Steak is the promo code to use at checkout. You can call them via the telephone. Talk to a pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. Odyssey, the headphones that... I'm always jealous of looking at when they're on Noah's ear. They look more comfortable than mine. And they are the uh, self-proclaimed top-tier ear gear. You can find them at odyssey.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs! Christmas is over. So is all the fancy shit you eat during that time. Right now is the best place in the season between Christmas and New Year's where you just want to get something nice and easy. Maybe some ribs. Maybe a butt roast. Slather it up with man rubs. Throw it in the oven. Throw it in the smoker. It's going to be so delicious when you throw it in your mouth. Num, num, num. Don't mistreat your meat. Manrubs.com. Facebook and Instagram. They're man rubs. Stay ready, your holsters. Melted plastic, fancy pictures, and anything you could ever want done right. They've got a new shop. The orders are getting pumped out faster than ever before. Stayreadygear.com. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. If you got a gun for Christmas, congratulations. 
if not. You, if you didn't, go and peruse his website for his large selection of firearms there. And if you need some ammo for it, he'll get you hooked up there as well. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com, Facebook Messenger, and via the telephone, 619-8706-992. There we go. First responders love Mediocre Medic. They're wearing fanny packs, sweatshirts, flip-flops, T-shirts, and more while they're off-duty. Stickers and patches on their bags and on the ambulances when they're on. Uh, find them at MediocreMedic.com and Instagram. And if you haven't gotten in for any of December's Zero Fucks Duck, you still have chance for the last one of the year this coming weekend. Dumpbox.us. They're on Instagram. And they're on Facebook. Go talk to Mark Joe Friday. Go waste some money to support his small, American-owned and operated business, as is all of our partners. Upcoming shows. We'll be back this Friday with a special New Year's Eve edition of Steak for Breakfast. Getting into the new year, though, on the 4th, Amanda Milius endorsed, running in Georgia 10, Patrick Witt, friends with Andrew McCarthy. We're going to talk to him. Uh, we'll also have on Casey Wardinsky, who's running in Alabama 5, two great America First candidates. On the 7th, we'll have Bradley Lanning running in Pennsylvania 1 and Alex Phillips, the host of American Priority Festivals. They're traveling all over the country. They're getting people involved, grassroots, signed up for votings, packed the polls with conservative workers. We'll hear what he's all about. Kelly Cooper from Arizona 11 will join us on the 11th of January, as will Hannah Kirkpatrick for guest hosting duties. We've cleared the entire schedule for the creator, producer, and director of The Plot Against the President, former State Department official, and now of the John McAfee shockumentary, Miss Amanda Milius, on January 14th, episode 100, January 18th, Nick, former host, Nor, former guest, Geisha, everybody's favorite. They'll be joining us for that celebratory episode. And on the 21st of January, Lynn's Piper Loomis, who's running in South Carolina 1, and Bo Hines out of North Carolina 7 will both be joining us. Friends of the week. Ho, ho, ho. Christmas was uh, good to us and good to all of our friends as well. Let's go, Brenda. Truth on Draft. Calling Investor. The Duke of Memes. Defiant L's. Sublime and Slime. We're going to be working with a lot more in the new year once he gets back from Europe. Thank Elvis. Snack Nicholson 2.0. What I mean to say, period, in between each word. Tara Ann, Texas. Mostly peaceful memes. That Southern dude. And always a very merry holiday season from Pubertos. Nice. Guys, thanks for remembering between now and next show. First of all, get ready for Happy New Year time. Mm -hmm. We'll be talking about it more on the... Uh, New Year's Eve edition of Steak for Breakfast this Friday. Do your own research. Not very hard. We gave you a lot today. A guest host that brings a great narrative and has an amazing show. Go do your research about the stuff that they talk about on Red, White, and Truth as well. In addition to three America First candidates, I don't think any of them kind of projected the same narrative. Even though they're all running on America First platforms, you got to see how America First agenda items and Trump era policies affect their states. Go do some digs on them and find out just about what they need uh, to help get over the finish line and, and get this House and Senate cleaned up in the midterm elections. In addition to that, start a podcast. Mm -hmm. I love it. You love it. Oh, yeah. So easy. The narrative's always clean. Noah loves it. Very little work. Antoinette, easy peasy? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Let's see what happens. This has been episode 94 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And on behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Bye. See you Friday, Antoinette. 
Bye, guys. Love you. And all of our guests and guest hosts, Mike Crispy, thanks for listening and take care. Yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas as well. Merry Christmas, and let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Hey, brother.